Here's what happened last week, nerds. Milk toast. <laughs> the fuck is milk toast? Sounds like something Greg Goss would do, which I love. Love Greg Goss. Greg Gross. Gross. <laughs> is his last name Gross? Yes. That poor guy. That poor man. He looks like that. His name's Gross. Probably got his ass kicked every day in swim class. Huh. Excalibur. They look Caucasian. What does that mean? No, we're going to be sued for sexual harassment now. Your goal, Jerry. Well, you be- yeah. Bathroom pranks. Ultraviolet password. Yeah. Did you say Philly That's cheese awesome. or cheesecake? Tweet us. Snap us. At the underscore podcastle. At nerd.35. Frangible. Thanks, Obama. Hey, tweet us at the podcast. Tweet us at the podcast. Tell us to shut the fuck up. Typecast is a rapist. Yeah. Scrappy underdogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good <laughs> one right there. Yeah. Blasphemous! Wait, a pretty good one right there. Samus from Metroid is a pretty good one right there. That's when you do your binging. Dunk yourself. Well, I'm getting horny just thinking about it. Well, it's Groundhog Day again, and that just means it's time for our good friend Bob to tell us how much more winter we're going to be getting again. Happy Groundhog Day, guys. It's uh, oh, yeah. Groundhog's Eve. Yes. Um, did, did anyone, did anyone like, actually celebrate that holiday outside of Pennsylvania, and why you're there? Did you actually celebrate it? Or it was just a thing to say at school, like hmm. he saw the shadow. Hmm, that's a good question. Because does the rest of the country celebrate it? I mean, shouldn't I we know we live in the rest of the country? People know what it is, I feel, but they don't. It's not a big deal. I feel like they, yeah, they just hear a blurb. They hear a blurb on the news. And that's it. You know, their morning news. Like, oh, Bucks of Tony Phil saw a shadow again today. Six more weeks of raining winter. But the people actually. Pennsylvania. Right. But the people actually, like, celebrate it. I know in the town of Bucks of Tony, it's huge. But how do you, like, celebrate it? I mean, I I watched (laughs) the movie and, like, you know, say say something like, Hey, Pennsylvania's biggest day or something, but nobody's like, the Groundhog Dinner's coming. Bob's bringing over Woodchuck. Woodchuck pie from McDonald's. Chipmunk stew. I think it's just like the way yeah. Philadelphians celebrate the Mummers Parade. You just go to it and you drink until you're Very regional. That sounds pretty yeah. good to me. Yeah, and it's just, yeah. yeah, and they maybe they, the only thing I know about Groundhog Day is from the Bill Murray movie. And that's it. That's all I know. Otherwise, I'm the right. same thing. You know, I'm the same, you know, oaf watching the TV in the morning, you know. Same shot. here. At Penn State, I had a bunch of friends who lived real close to Punks Tawny. So I remember one year, one of them going at like 3.30 in the morning, they left. And Fuck. it's like it's like the Wing Bowl uh, in Philly. You know, like people get there yeah. at 4 a.m. to just start drinking. Yeah. And then they lift the rat out of the ground the wing bowl. and people keep drinking. The it's wing an excuse. <laughs> yeah. They have that in California. Some, uh, like a, The equivalent to Groundhog Day in California is the Swallows of San uh, Juan Capistrano, which oh. is like the Swallows oh. return to this place every year. And uh, I don't know like the genesis or what, what, about, you know, what it's about, but they even mentioned that in the movie Groundhog Day. They're like, you know, he's like, I covered the Swallows of Capistrano one year. And, and um, I guess it's like a, a really huge in that area, but then like the farther you get out, people are like, I don't know. 
You know, like if they didn't have the movie, how much would we be talking about Groundhog Day? Until they built a glass building in front of the where the trees with the swallows try to go back to. And they all just right. hit the building. And right. And activists come in and, and the ATF is called. And, it's, yeah. it's and then crazy. Donald Trump says, you know, yay for uh, expansion and business. Yeah. Yeah. We, I told you. I told you we would build a wall. It's not the wall that costs Punk a lot. Punk Satani Phil has been undefeated since I took office. We'd, we'd keep those swallows out. They were rapists and murderers. The swallows. Speaking of uh, all about peace. Speaking of the ATF, uh, we, 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 I mentioned to Bob before the show, and we talked about on previous shows the alcohol, uh, tobacco, firearms, and the, I think it's explosives agency oh, yeah. now. Yeah. They what a they cover such a niche, interesting market. Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. You know, mm. knock knock, who's there? ATF, what are you here to do? Uh, are you here to take my guns? Actually, no, we heard there was some poppy seeds and some weed you know, growing in the back. What do they cover? Like that how did was that a mathematical problem, Clark? What you just said, <laughs> guns, tobacco, alcohol, cigarettes equals trailer park. Yeah, yes. All that combined would be great. But what do they cover, Bob? Like, what is their? Like, I think that's who they. Cover. I think a lot of it, a lot of what they cover. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's as much alcohol. I think it's a lot of it's the illegal sale of all of those three things. Ah. A lot of because you do have a large market, especially a large foreign market, in coming into the United States for illegal cigarette sales, and they seize a lot of shipments of that. Oh wow! Are they the ones that um, go like in prisons? Yeah. Yeah, ah. stuff like that, and then just yeah. Oh. There's a lot of illegal cigarettes coming into the country and going out, and they they do both. And the firearms thing, obviously, uh, they they keep that's their biggest uh, their biggest role in this country. They keep the firearms database that where everything registers. It registers to the FBI for the criminal side, but in terms of managing who carries a firearm in this country, who's registered to carry a firearm. Uh, the ATF keeps that database. So that's their biggest role. So that's really interesting because uh, we mentioned the show Waco. The reason they came on to David oh Koresh and his, you know, his, his clan of kooks Koresh. down there, Koresh, was because they, they, they looked at these documents that the ATF registered that say, like, his clan, his group, his following, whatever you call it, they purchased, Cult. like, 200,000 guns between um, – this state and this state oh over a number of years. God. Like these guys were just, I don't know if it was 200,000. They were buying a lot of guns and yeah. they say children are being abused or something. So they, you know, that was their ground to set up shop. Sounds like it was a lot of assault one weapons. Four was sons of anarchy. Assault weapons. Right. Yeah. I mean, we need more uh, Jack's Teller to take up the Chinese in San Francisco area because that happens all the time. Um, but it's really interesting. So their, their primary thing is to like register a uh, gun database and kind of regulate that situation. Is that what you see in movies? Like everybody's smoking cigarettes in prison. They're always like flying. They're like, I'll give you eight packs of cigarettes for a bet. It's like, where do you get all these smokes yeah. from? Yeah, most of their cases are going to be gun cases. The, the the ATF agents that work those cases, it's going to be mostly gun cases. That's what they work on because that's that's gun the biggest cases. impact. That's the biggest political impact for them. And that's that's quite honestly what they should be working in this country. So, you know. Of course. You wonder how much these agencies all talk to each other. I mean, there are all these different government bodies, but does like Peter right. talk to Paul? Does the NSA coordinate with the FBI? Are they all kind of like rogue? Not rogue, but like their own. Is it islands, like the cops know? and the firemen? They kind of have like a feud. 
Oh, yeah. And the ambul- ambulance drivers. Farmers uh, think they're like a bunch of pussies. EMTs. Yeah, EMTs. Get your little bag and you thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a volunteer, if you're a city, then, then you have EMTs yeah. on your staff. But Well, before 9-11, we got into trouble with our intelligence agencies not talking to our law enforcement agencies. Uh-oh. Uh, and that that changed shortly after 9-11, obviously. Uh, but uh, we have, uh, from what I've read and observed, we've gone back to a similar stance than – we were pre 9-11 at this point, I think. Because ah, uh, of the red tape. Comforting. A lot of red tape uh, and a lot of things that, quite honestly, too, it's, and it's not clear cut, just like, you know, I'm not going to share with you. I'm, I'm the FBI or I'm the CIA. It's, it's right. not about that. I was going to say, the Legion of Doom. Show, the the no, 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 higher ups and, argue. Yeah, and, and yeah. intelligence <laughs> cases, like, when you're gathering intelligence, a lot of that stuff. You can't prosecute that criminally. It's gathered in a different way, so you can't prosecute it criminally. It's not a criminal act. Oh, and my gosh. So, you know, you, uh, an agency like the FBI is trying to wear two hats where they are they have an intelligence wing where they're trying to gather that stuff, and they also have a criminal wing where they're trying to prosecute that stuff as well. And that's a that's a tough uh, line to walk uh, sometimes. Really, that's really interesting. Um, when you see, yeah. like, shows I – was, I was watching Unsolved Mysteries the other night because my life's full of problems – and um, oh, that's a, that's a good segue. That's a good foreshadowing. Thank you for. I, I do enjoy a little rosemary with Gold the pizza. Star. I oh enjoy some garlic and my nuts. So they had this episode where like the this uh, alien craft uh, in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, crashed, and like the police came, and then the army came, and then the men in black came. <laughs> and I feel yeah. like I feel like when the cops come, you know, the like the authorities black. here, and then the army comes, and it's like. Right. We got it. You just go back down and do your cute little patrols. Yeah, they roll and then, in, like, in a tank. Like a higher government agency comes in. I wonder if they're like the bigger kids on the block. Like when you hear like the CIA is taken over or the yeah. FBI is taken right. over. It's kind of like, we got it. Leave it to the big guys. You guys go write your tickets. Is that how it works? It's like when Spider-Man uh, can't get it done and the Avengers <laughs> show up to save the day. Yeah. <laughs> I bet being a CIA agent is tough. Don't you have to speak like eight languages or something? Cool. Nah, not necessarily. They they put you in a niche. You know, they they'll put you in an office where your specialties are going to be ah. most utilized to the benefit of the United States government. Ah. But it's uh, you know, it's it's all you know. Th- there's some of that stuff, that territorial stuff that you see in the movies. That's kind of you know, a, way overdone. Yeah, you know, right. nobody can walk up and just flash their badge around and be like, "Oh, you know, I'm taking over this, this crime scene." This is my jurisdiction. And then, and then the cop goes back, and there's always some black police chief that's always screaming. That's just like, "Well, you're getting a new partner today. You're gonna get a new partner." I've Why been are you always for six? No, months. that's always. If there's any rub, that's always figured out at the management level. That's never figured out at that level. So it's you know. We uh we t- we talked about an, on another show uh, Ruby Ridge, which I'm not I wasn't very familiar with until I watched Waco, but it was a siege of a of a white supremacist former Army Green Beret in Northern Idaho that the FBI accidentally or mistakenly I don't really know all the details killed his son or something and he holed himself in his house. They had a negotiator go in. I gotta think being a negotiator, whether it's a hostage situation or let's defuse this, has to be one of the most stressful jobs. Because uh, if you fuck up, like, 
people are going to die. That's not like, yeah, I'll just go talk to them. I mean, um, how effective are these guys, do you think, with some of these agencies with defusing them? Is it, is it more Hollywood than anything, or are they pretty good? I think it's more Hollywood. I think these negotiators, they're highly trained. They understand the scenarios they're going to be put into. They're, they're not they, – I, I think a lot of them, too, a lot of them are psychologists. So they know Makes how sense. to read people and talk pe- talk to people. A lot of and a lot of these local uh, uh, local police organizations hire psychologists. You know, just offhand, they're not full time negotiators. They're just psychologists. That hey, we got an issue here. We're going to call this guy. He's going to come out and you know. There's actually a funny story. Uh, if you don't mind me veering oh, off please. here, oh please, oh it's your it's your barbecue, Bob, and it tastes good. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. Uh, well, when I was growing up, I, had a, I, I was in the Cub Scouts and one of my buddies in the Cub Scouts, his dad was a psychologist. So he, he was one of the den fathers and all the den fathers. And this is my, this is, I'm being related to this from my, from my dad, you know, uh, after the facts, this is secondhand. Anyway, uh, this is when we lived in Virginia, the Chesapeake police department had a hostage situation Uh-oh. where this guy was barricaded in his in it was a crab he was estranged from his wife but he was living in his trailer in the driveway of his oh, classic wife wow. was living that's what he, yeah, he got his he, things worked out for that's him how you move on. yeah yeah he's he's high on life so uh <laughs> so he's got a he, he he's armed in there he's got a bunch of guns and i guess the wife called the police in and said hey you know he's threatening to kill me but he's now in his trailer and i don't know what to do so the police surround him they have the swat team there's guys crawling all over the house and you know oh. snipers putting stuff down and and my buddy's dad in my cub scout pack is there talking to him you know hey you know on a megaphone you know they didn't have a direct line i guess at that point this is in the early 90s so we didn't oh, wow. have the we have now right mccombs and you know trying to talk the guy down and after a few hours the chesapeake the chesapeake virginia swat team got a little too uh, aggressive well not a little i, I don't, I don't want to they they thought it was time to end the, end the deal and you know right so. so they kicked the door in and they throw a flashbang i don't know you guys know what a flashbang is it oh, just yeah. it's a yeah, break. I play. I've played a lot of Call of Duty. I'm very familiar yeah. with the flashbang and the smoke grenade alternative. I think Batman has well, them, Bob. What is it? Just like a loud bang and a bright noise? Yeah, it's it's nothing. It's not like an explosive to hurt anybody. It's just set to like you know disorient you for about thirty seconds. Right. So a lot of SWAT teams throw it in before they hit the house. You know. Right. And anyway, well, the SWAT team kicks the door in. They throw the flashbang in. Well, this guy happens to be sitting in a recliner, right in front of the door and the flashbang lands right in his crotch and goes up. Oh shit. And he had a dog in there and the dog right the McCombsies. The dog. The, this 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 hostage negotiator psychologist told us like we never saw the dog again. I don't know where the dog went. Because that thing as soon as the flashbang went off the dog was gone. And uh, of course huh. that guy shit this guy came out just holding his holding his balls. <laughs> Keep your hands up. I can't that's so, so funny. You know, this you is would Chesapeake think Bay. Come up with a better name for it than Flashbang. Oh yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, sounds like my high school nights. We're simple. Yeah, this is Chesapeake, Virginia. Yeah, right, right off the Chesapeake Bay. I love Chesapeake Bay. There's no waves. It's very pretty. Yes, it is. You can walk out for like a mile and still be standing up to your neck in water. 
Many a July 4th fortnight in, in Rock Hall, Maryland, I sailed off the coast of Rock Hall in the Chesapeake's friendly, angry, but sometimes forgiving waters, Never and ate the finest much. of crabs, and was with some girls, and I think from them I caught the finest of crabs, too. It was a wild summer in 2000. But um, that's she? crazy. Oh, Sowing wow. your oats. Sowing some wild oats. Uh, <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to break in a little session, if I could, called, uh, what's Clark watching this week? Yes. Um, I feel like uh, I have a caliber of um, a compass, actually, of, of what's good on television, usually from the 90s. I watch a lot of lot of 90s movies, tremendous shows. But I've also been watching some contemporary items as well, and I want you guys to weigh in on any of these. Three things that I recommend that you should check out if they're listening to the podcast. And, you know, is, before, uh, before we start, you know... Dick me. We... we, we... <laughs> This has been a segment off the air for like the last two years or so, because yeah. every night Clark will check in on Facebook watching some movie that I know he's seen more than 10 times. And <laughs> right. with all the brand new programming that is like all over right now, that is available at our fingertips with Hulu and Netflix and HBO and AMC and just everybody's on fire right now. I just can't believe that Clark is still rewatching movies. It's wild. It's really pathetic. And it's kind of sad. Hours. This morning I watched my sister Melissa's eighth birthday party at Roy <laughs> Rogers in uh, 1992. It was balloon filled and it was great. Um, but no, but I hope this is more of a segment where everybody on the show chimes in of any recommendations. But we, we pretty much got rid of cable. I think. Uh, we just use, you know, Sling and Hulu and Amazon, all that stuff you don't need. Right. Uh, you don't need cable anymore for. And the shows I recommend are uh, Waco, which is uh, the David Koresh story on the Paramount Network, which is pretty, pretty intense. First now, episode, I was, was is, hooked. Is there only one episode? Or is there two? There's, I guess there's, it's a series. Um, I guess there's going to be a few. Uh, there's been one episode, and then the second one aired today. Okay, so this is not binge-worth. It's not bin- It's binge-worth binge if you, like, save up. But it's, it's not binge-available. Binge it's not binge-ready. Not binge-ready. Binge it's mm. uh, binge-prepped if mm. you want to record them. But who can do that? No. Um, no one. The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Who I never really cared about that story. But I'm a big fan of the uh, American Crime Story <laughs> franchise. I love People vs. OJ. Is it the same I mean, guy that did Choose? I don't know if it's the same guy. It's the same series, so it might be right. the same directors. I got to look at that. Hmm. Um, but it's well done. It's pretty good. The even if you don't care. scene is uh, is acceptable. Very accept. Very uh, cripe worthy. Penelope Cruz. That, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's, cri- it's very cripey. And um, of course, the movie this week is Groundhog Day <laughs> from the '90s, which I recommend you revisit. Uh, I met somebody this week that said don't like the movie, can't stand it. I just oh, thought, wait. how? How oh, do you not like Groundhog friend. Day? They're not your friend. They're not. Back no, it's a, to some, Versace. It's a boss, right? Yeah. Does please. it start off with him dead already, or is he alive when it starts? It starts off with the scene where he gets shot. It jumps wow. right into it. They show him waking up in his gaudy mansion, walking around, his servant's giving him orange juice. He goes out to the street. He gets some uh, magazines, comes back, boom. He got shot on those front doorsteps, right? Yeah, right there. Just checking yeah. the mail. Get it? Checking the mail. Checking the mail. 
How many ah. records do you expect John to sell? John, you live near that, that so mansion, right? Isn't that Miami? Aren't you like an hour away from there or something? Uh, yeah. Yeah, about an hour away. I've never, uh, you know, you, there's this part of Miami where it's nothing but bridges and water and yachts and houses that look like museums. And when you drive through there, you just stand out like a sore thumb if you're someone like me. It's like me driving through Bel Air. They're like, right. your Ford Fusion does not reside in this place. <laughs> we have our own police department for this neighborhood, and you do not belong here. <coughs> Wrong tube. Oh, can't see you, but, uh, but Bob, sorry. Yeah. You've, you, you've been to Peachtree Road. Uh, there's a billion of them, but the one in check out oh my uh, gosh. Buckhead, uh, Buckhead, Georgia. Uh, I believe I have. I don't remember specifically, but I'm sure I've been through there. I think there's some really nice real estate there. Like Elton John oh, yeah. has a house, and um, that's where the, what, governor's mansion, the governor's mansion is there too, I believe. Oh, is that where it is? I think so. Yeah, just oh. north of the city. Georgia's got the prettiest girls in the country, man. And oh, yeah. the weather there—it must be the weather. It's like good for the skin or something. But there's something about them Georgia peaches down there that you gotta just respect. <laughs> Hmm. You get a little bit of everything here. So you get a little bit of winter. You know, it's been like 20 or 30 degrees here. Today it was like 62. Christ. Oh, Macombs. Now it's pouring rain and it's going to be, you know, when we wake up tomorrow morning, it'll be 35. So wow. it, it gets weird in the winter here. But it's exactly. never, it's not like where we grew up where it's painful. You know, 20 degrees for three weeks and you want to murder yourself. With the wind yeah, chill you- of my dick is gone. You want yes, to shut exactly. the doors and burn the house down. You got yeah, the chili. Exactly. Do you eat yeah. it, Bob? Do you eat any local cuisine there? Like, do you have like okra with collard greens and succotash with your with your fried chicken or anything, or are you more of a traditional man? No, I've okra. I've embraced the southern palate. Soul food. I love fried okra. Oh Ew. yeah, it's good. I don't Soul like food, okra. man. It's so like good. Slimy. Love it. Smells like grandma's kitchen. Oh, when it's fried, man, it's not slimy. It's good. Ah. It's good. And collard greens, collard greens are damn good too. Oh, yeah, collard greens are good. And um, succotash, it's the the mixed beans, right? The different colored. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's good too. And if you're down there in Georgia and you're running a bob, you could say fetus. But if you're listening to the show tonight, you could say twitter at the <laughs> underscore podcast. <laughs> the sec. The segues. So welcome to the po- tweet us at the podcast. So tell us to shut the fuck up. So um, that's that's what I recommend for movies, and uh, I don't want to waste too much time on that because, as you all know, we'll get on this in the second half. But the Philadelphia Eagles are in the Super Bowl, and um, I feel like this segment's going to really take over the show. So I wanted to embrace it in uh, my bosom earlier on my breast. Don't you ever laugh when people go? Please keep us abreast of the situation. Like, yeah. I can't, like, as a 35-year-old man, I still can't uh, get over sayings like that. Keep I us abreast. I say to you as a joke because it's so silly that it's actually a word because it's so close right. to my favorite thing, the word that represents my favorite thing, abreast. <laughs> when, when, the other week in church when a priest was like, and they rode the ass in the – the ass was – I'm like, I'm sorry, God, I'm, I'm sorry, but this I, is hilarious to me. I, you turn into the six-year-old little boy in the pew. I have to. I'm like, I, I'm sorry. I, my brain is wired. 
to yeah. that. Can't do it. Oh, by the way, speak, speaking of the shows, Roseanne full catalog is on Netflix too. I'm d- diving into that. Ooh, um, do you remember? Do you remember there was a middle period in the sh- Bob? Have you ever watched the show Roseanne? Yes, uh, a little bit. I wasn't like an avid watcher, but right. It was a little, a ki- little before Bob's time. A little before his his yeah. Yeah, I was more in Alf range. I was more Alf. Oh, I uh, loved Alf. Loved Alf. Um, I think Brett Katzen posted the other day. I really <laughs> would love a uh, an Alf reboot, but then I oh, I know God. I'd be immediately disappointed. Like, I would do yeah, Gangbusters. Probably. No, I think we do Gangbusters, man. If they, With the right if writing, like true, Seth Rogen, if oh, Seth yeah. Rogen got a hold of it, it would be amazing. Hey, you want to eat that cat? <laughs> I mouth impression at all. I need to work on that. That wasn't bad and, on the spot. It's yeah, it is funny. That is good. I love um, Alf. Alf was great. I think everybody loved Alf. Mel Mac. But there, there was a Sorry. midi. I drove us into a ditch here. Oh no, I love ditches. I spent a lot of my college days waking up and. No. A lot of but there's a there's a middle season of Roseanne. Because you know they were always kind of like struggling, you know, financially. Right. They were like a blue collar gimmick of the show. Yeah, they weren't like this happy family in San Francisco. It's like flat. Yeah, I'm a news reporter. We have infinite money. I'm a cop that has a salary that supports this. Yeah, it was like hundred with Tim the Toolman Taylor. Right, yeah, Tim the Toolman. But there was this episode in the middle see uh, like one of the middle seasons of Roseanne where they like are so far behind their bills their power gets shut off for like three days or something and they're like trying to keep things alive by singing songs what? and I'm like uh, yeah it was really kind of dark I didn't remember it either the one that, that sticks with me is when Darlene gets her period and that's when I learned what a period was yeah same here same really? here that's when I learned what it, I didn't know what is it that was truth? Like, that's 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 truth speak so truth speak it's like she wakes up Roseanne in the middle of the night and she goes um I got my period, and Roseanne made like a joke or something, and I was like, "What the hell is a period?" Right. And, uh, you know, I got the explanation. I was like, "What?" Oh, I didn't <laughs> ask the parents, but I. Oh, I did to, right I think away. I asked somebody else, like what, like somebody else at school or something. I don't remember, but the, but the same thing. I saw the episode, and I learned what morbid obesity was when uh, I saw John Goodman on <laughs> morbid obesity. He was fat in that show. I learned what he was really was. fat. He Huge. was big. Bad he's lo- fat. He's lost a lot. A lot. Yeah. He had but a, like, then a... I think in like season five, they dressed up Kathy Bates as him and just, you know. Yeah, kept right. up. They kept interchanging them. Getting crazy. Getting crazy. What are you watching, Bob? What are, what are your, what do you watch? You, I bet you're, I'm going to guess you're a big history channel, gentlemen. I watch uh, a lot Nasty. of PBS. Yeah, yeah. A lot, of Burns, a lot of Ken Burns shows. A lot of Ken Burns. Uh, and I watch a lot of uh, uh, tonight, like when my wife came home from tennis, I was watching uh, the history of the Georgia Golden Isles. Ooh. Which are the, the like from Savannah down to uh, at the border of Georgia and Jacksonville, where the Spanish settled in the 15 and 1600s here on the Georgia and Florida coast. And Oh, yeah. Up and then you have also the Native Americans who were there like a thousand years before and oh. conquistadors and the uh, and the uh, the Iroquois. Yeah. Yes, the Apache. 
Cherokee. Yes. The Algonquin. Mohican. I love uh, I love the conquistador um, history, the 1500s, because you think like Jamestown, you, like the first settlement in America. Yeah. Uh, yeah you think about before that when those guys came, it was really like so old. They had no idea what the fuck they were doing. No. Out. No, and they got they had some major problems. They had major <laughs> problems. A lot of southern like gentlemen. Well, like, you know, Indian raids on your fort if you weren't, uh, oh, you know. cool. If you weren't hip, if you weren't down. Yeah, if you weren't hip and cool, you know. You didn't have a podcast. Down. The local tribe there. Ooh, yeah, right. They'll, uh, they'll wreck you. They'll get you. They'll chop your freaking head off. You know, it's a good, interesting uh, sto- a story that is kind of overlooked in a lot of ways. is the French and Indian War. Before America was its own independent nation, the British fought against the French for control of the United States, the French sided with the Indians, and there was a lot of battles there. And then 10 years later, British are still suffering from debt of this war. And America's like, nope, going to war with you. And they were just getting pounded. It's just we an amazing. Not paying for that damn war for you to stave off those, all them Indians and all them French. Right. That's what it was. But you're talking about like a 20 year period where all this is going on. And it's just, you know, they, they won the country and then they lost it. It's, it's really well, an amazing piece of history. Yeah, and it's thank God it happened because that's where we got George Washington from. So yeah, that didn't happen. If if they didn't win, we would be speaking uh français yeah. right now. John would be Someone, you know pattering his butt, and I would be putting on my powdered wig, and we would be going dancing and oh, Mister so Barrister, <laughs> what did I do wrong today? <laughs> it's so funny you said that because right now I'm going to be changing a diaper on the air. Oh wow! Oh. Crash. Hannah woke up. It's a good, good time to take a break. You can slice it. You guys want to take a quick five minutes and come back with uh, some, some history hour with uh, our friend Bob, who knows more history than history itself, than Father Tom. Oh my gosh. The library. Say. That's true. Tweet us at the underscore podcastle. We're back with our friend Bob. We will return appropriately and appropriationally after this. Hannah, say hi. Yeah, cool. Hey Hannah. Hey baby. Nice. Yeah. Let him let him work overtime. Stimming. Change the rules. We change them all the time. Lay on the hole of the sub. It would we're live. Twenty feet above it and just <laughs> rattle the shit. <laughs> it's amazing. Sorry guys. So yeah, come to the surface, asshole. Come to the surface, now. Bring it up. When did they retire the battleship? I think in the late 1980s was the yeah. last. Retired. Was it just Maybe early what, 1990s? Was it just too like bulky and and practical for bulky. modern? Yeah, use? I mean, you're no longer going to fight naval battles like you did in World War II, where yeah, you can you can shoot around 35 miles, mm. you know, and you can barely see the guy on the, you know, on the horizon, right. and you can sink him. But you know, naval battles won't be fought like that now because we have aircraft. So right. right. We have jets. They're useless. Yep. We have Cougar and Merlin and Maverick and Goose. Great. Yeah. Maverick and Goose. Talk to me, Goose. Pulling out. Pulling out. Disengaging. Doesn't look right. Doesn't look right. Disengaging. Don't leave your wingman. You almost had him, man. You had him. God damn it, Maverick. Maverick. <laughs> I got to do something right. I just sorry, I can't believe you wrapped my arm around it. I gotta give you your dream shot. You two characters are going to Top Gun. 
For five weeks, you're going to fly against the best fighter pilots in the world. Cougar was number one. You're number two. Cougar lost to turn his wings. You guys are number one. And if you fuck this up, you're going to be flying planes, C-130s full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. Which sounds like a pretty good gig to me. Yeah, really. Flying that kind I of aircraft. That. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 that, sure. Why not? Let's do it. Good. Snap. <laughs> and then Podcastle. As we all know, the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl oh, 51 this weekend against Jesus. Tom Brady, New England Patriots, who I think Tom Brady is the only guy when they that was playing in the NFL at the time the Eagles last went in 2005, yep. 2004. Is that true? Stat? I think he's the only player. Like Even rookies have retired since then for yep. the most part. Probably. Yeah. Careers probably right. have come and gone, but Tom Brady remains. Predictions for the weekend. Or thoughts, oh, or, or, oh, or prepara- so. prep- preparatory H plans. Oh. What? What are we doing? You go first. Or you want to go, John? I am. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm not ready yet. I am not ready. All right, yet. John. Somebody well, else. Somebody he's else. Still he's still chubby. I'm a sports guy. You have the last word anyway. So I'll. Uh, I'll go, and you can. You can rip me a new one. Here's gonna be the deal with the Patriots. Our defense is going to have to blitz up the middle against Tom Brady. You can't go on the outside. You have to get Fletcher Cox going up the the middle with Cox. Yes, up the middle with Cox, just like he did with a woman from North Carolina. (laughs) Just just an out-of-banks whore. Wow. But anyway, uh, defense is going to have to hit Brady early and often. Uh, Nick Foles is going to have to have – he's not going to have to have the game that he had against the Vikings. Right. But he's going to have to score probably at least two touchdowns, I think. I think our defense will get him another one, and I think we can kick two field goals, and I think that's going to win the game. Uh, no turnovers. Nick Foles won't turn the ball over, I don't think. He's pretty conservative when it comes to that. I think it's going to be 27-24 Eagles. 34-27 Eagles? 27-24. Oh, I'll be dead. I will have a heart attack if the game is that close. No, it's going to be a close game. This this is going to be a blowout either way. All right, I'll change it. 50 to 14, ah, Eagles. Ah, thank you. All right. Thank you. I just hope it's not a blowout like in the first quarter well, where it's like a 30 to 3 game or something. I'm worried about, I'm worried about Brady and I'm worried about Gronkowski because Gronkowski is going to come out yeah. into the flats. And you know who matches up against Gronkowski out in the flats is either going to be Chris Long or Malcolm Jenkins. So I don't know what Schwartz Ooh. is going to defense. So Ooh. I'd rather have Chris Long throwing his helmet against Gronkowski. Yeah, but I think Jenkins can like keep up with him, and you know he's he's that black man. He can jump high. So well, I don't know. That's a tough call. Can, can Chris Long run with Gronk? Nobody can run with Gronk, who, who's his size and like his twitch. His Gronk is so oh, fast yeah. off the line. He's like Fletcher Cox on defense. He's caveman. Fletcher can keep up with him. He's Cro-Magnum. Yeah, he's not human. No, so. he's Homo sap. No, Homo habilis. Homo erectica. <laughs> he's a Homo. Yeah. So basically, hit Brady early and often. Uh, try. We're not going to be able to eliminate Gronk, but try to eliminate Gronk. Don't let them run the ball. The running game isn't strong like it was back in 2004. I just watched that Super Bowl, and mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. It was Who yeah, did they have was, back then? They had like Ty Law. I, I, I forget. Yeah. I don't know. You know what? I don't fucking care. I know because tomorrow, 
uh, or I mean Sunday, all of a sudden they could have some running back that no one knew about, and he. And now. Sports with John, 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 John. Sports with 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 John. Be amazing. Well, here's the deal. True. The, the biggest thing that killed us in 2004, and I'm saying us like I'm on the freaking team, you know. No, I didn't put any. Are. These are the guys who walk through the, the, the white lines. The Philadelphia Eagles right. are Philadelphia Eagles of Philadelphia. The 53 men who put in all that work. Uh, they have Doug Peterson, who is not an Andy Reid, who is going to be so conservative in his plan that is going to allow, you know, if he gets ahead or if he gets behind, you know, I think he can adjust accordingly, especially with Schwartz on defense. May the Schwartz be with you. We're going to be good. And I think if we get get way ahead or if we get behind – I'm not too worried, you know, obviously until the fourth quarter, but I think we can make that up. I think we're going to, I think we're going to be okay. And the Eagles are going to win 27 to 24. Mark it. That is Bob's stone cold blue vein diamond cutter pick for the Super Bowl. What is that noise? Is somebody jacking off? Oh, I'm burping this baby. Sorry. Oh, oh, good burp. Jesus, John, it's terrible. But, but yeah, it's going to be hitting Tom Brady early and often, and now we'll see what happens. He's Tom Brady's the best ever. Bill Belichick's the best ever. We know what's going to happen. We're going to come out with our plan in the first half, and if that works or if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. The Patriots are going to come out with a whole nother plan, and it's like it's like facing a PhD in football against Bill Belichick. So. Yeah, we're, say, we're, gonna see, um, we're really going to see how good Doug Peterson is. There's, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hasselback. He said playing against Bill Belichick is like eating your morning breakfast left-handed or, you know, with the opposite hand. You just yeah. It just feels so different playing against them. So I, I feel yeah, good call. Uh, like I can't talk yet. Clark, what do you think? Uh, pretty much the same as what Bob said. I think that, you know, those guys, that's going to be key to do it. You can't, to allude with you said, you can't play against Brady and Belichick thinking that, um, you know, you, you really can't go in there thinking there's a certain strategy. I mean, they've shown and they've proven time after time again for the last, you know, 18 years or so, um, that they can pretty much overcome and, and out, you know, gun any, thing thrown at them, any situation they can dig themselves out of. Not always, but if history has taught us anything with them, it's that uh, they always come through. They always, you know, gel at the right moment. They make the plays that they have to. And, uh, yeah, I don't I don't have any high expectations for the Eagles this weekend. I, I think it's going to be exciting no matter what. I'm proud of the team that we're going there, but um, I think it's going to have to really rely on, you know, defense. Defense wins games. That's what you got to do. <laughs> And I think Belichick, too, uh, to negate our, you know, because we we basically, we've existed on the Eagles. We, well, okay, sorry. The Eagles have existed on the front four this year with, you know, them getting to the quarterback. They get the pressure on the quarterback, and they've rotated eight guys in, and so they always have fresh legs. 
Belichick is going to run a hurry-up offense so they can't substitute these guys in. I'm sure they've yes. been practicing it this week. Yeah, they've been doing right. those drills. Like they're just going to hurry up offense. You're going to see a lot of that. You're going to probably yeah. see Brady do, yeah. uh, you know, what Peyton Manning used to do a lot, where he would, you know, too many guys in the field, like he would he would calculate the right time to, to call a play. Yeah, and just call the play at the line and snap right. the ball. Say, no, ah, too many guys. You know, you're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see some trickery, some witchcraft, and uh, – some yeah, it's going to be really exciting. The game's in Minnesota, which is uh, one of the domes. I forget the name of it. But the, the, the thing that I love America about the Super Bowl... Is, U.S. Bank Dome or something? Is that what it is? Some bank. Yeah, yes. the, the, the Bob Dome. dome. Bank. The, the uh, Minnesota. Dome. The Fargo Dome. The Fargo. <laughs> oh, sorry. The oh, sorry. Yo, the yo, sir. Moosehead beer. And... Uh, <laughs> But I always love when they do the games at, like, domes and, like, a colder spot. It's not like, yeah, we're playing in Jacksonville or, you know, Glendale, Arizona. It's, it's like a dome, you know. These, these guys are – it's a football town. Anyway, like, it should be – It's two degrees outside. These guys are – I love it. I love it. <laughs> Did you know that the halftime performers don't get paid for the Super Bowl? Well, they, they do, but not – like, yeah, they don't get paid money. But they don't yeah, get paid directly, but they get paid. Their album increases by like three hundred percent, like overnight, like right without even trying. They'll pay for all of like the production, you know, and everything like that, and like dancers and all. But the yeah, the idea. I think Lady Gaga, her albums went up when she hit the Super Bowl like a thousand percent on iTunes that week or something like yeah. that. It's yes. so coveted. You know? Like she needed that. Right. What's that? Yeah. Like she needed that. She did. Yeah. Struggling very hard. The recession. Up, hit her yeah, very hard. Yeah, Lady Gaga was a nothing until the Super Bowl last yeah. year. She had a she had her poker face on for a couple years. That <laughs> really put her over the top. Gaga. This year it's uh, Timberlake. She was getting ready to hang it up. Yeah. Yeah, she uh, was done. All together. But, Timberlake. Yeah. But but with the Eagles, we wanted to do a little thing tonight. We're all, um, of course, we're all tremendous tremendous New York Giants fans on the show. So. Um, Go. Yeah. <laughs> I love when my quarterback has a demeanor after he has a bad play that he just watches dog get run over by a dump truck. Yeah, I love having a quarterback b- b- born with that silver spoon in his ass and play that conservative football and cry. I love but, uh, when my quarterback's losing, he stands on the sideline and breathes out of his mouth. <laughs> and also, but a two-time Super Bowl MVP against the Patriots, so... That's uh, a little I bit know. of crap. Right, that's true. Twice. He does have that ace in the pocket. Yeah. Uh, but obviously we're all tremendous Eagles fans here. and We wanted yes. to incorporate, we always do History Hour here with Bob. Typically it's about your Civil War persuasion. Uh, time to time it's about your World War II slice of pie. Uh, once in a while a barbecue is peppered with some 60s nostalgic <laughs> political fever and fervor. But this, uh, I don't know what I just and said, but... And, and definitely some McCombs, lots of McCombs. But we wanted to incorporate some Eagles history. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's so much history there. Obviously going back to the, the, the NFL championship in 1960 before it was the Super Bowl mm. to days of uh, uh, Veterans Stadium, you know, after Connie Mack. They played in Connie Mack, I think, before Veterans, right? <laughs> Connie Mack, yeah. and I think they also played at uh, where the University of Pennsylvania has their stadium now. Yes. They run the, uh, the, the, the pen relays. The pen relays, right. Mm-hmm. Yes, they played at Franklin Field a few years. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
you know, that was cool. I remember as a kid, like very young, because they knocked it down. There was like the vet, there was the Spectrum, and then there was the <laughs> Franklin Field, which was like right. an unused stadium, but it was like this weird. Wasn't it like corroded? Yeah, it was like the Horseshoe Stadium. Yeah, it was like falling apart. It was like Rome. They, that's why they knocked it down. They did like live aid there and stuff. And engineers were like, this thing's uh, going to fall down soon. And they got rid of it. But the vet, my first memory of, of, of going to an Eagles game was against the Raiders. No, I'm sorry. It was the Saints. Second game, time went to the vet, was against the Raiders. I was a big Raiders fan because like, uh, I was into the Chronic. Yes. I was into Dr. Ray. So I was like, L.A., man, that's my team. <laughs> And uh, I went there, and I had a like Raiders hat. On. I was like twelve. Raiders hat, Raiders starter jacket. I was walking in, you know, with the dad, and there was some guys like, "Hey, you want some tickets?" And they're like, "Now nah, we got some." And the guy turns around, it's like, you know, scary kind of looking black guy, and he's like, "Yo, man, that guy's got a Raiders jacket on." And I was like, "Uh, what?" And he's like, "Nah, nah, I'm just kidding. Enjoy the game." And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And I went in there oh thinking it would be. And I felt so like shitty. I was like, no, nah, I love the Eagles. What am I doing? But I was like a, like a phase I was going through. I like rap and all that. So I had like all this Raiders oh, stuff yeah. on. Oh, gosh. But, uh, but I was totally an Eagles fan. <laughs> but I remember going to these games as a kid in the vet. It was so different. You guys might agree that going to uh, like a Phillies game, not just because of the weather or anything like that, but it was like a different stadium altogether. The Phillies oh, game, yeah. it's like, hot and callous. The Eagles game, it's like it just looked, it felt and looked different. It felt like a different place. Do you, do you agree? way more intense i yes. remember i remember going there and my buddies and i wouldn't have tickets and at the vet they stood back to back to collect tickets and this is back when i was a young buck in high school and i could run and so i would just you know i'd stand in line like i was getting ready to show my ticket and then i'd as soon as i get to the point where we were getting up to the turnstile or doing the tickets I'd run in between the ticket taker and then Ooh. Oh, nice. And just Ooh. Run the Ooh. Ooh, I like that. Regular, so we would do. Yeah, it's a regular huckleberry thing. Did you guys go to a lot of uh, Eagles games at, at the vet? The first one I ever went to, uh, I think I was like five. And they played the Lions. I don't remember anything. But then I went when I was about nine. When we played Dallas in mm. early 90s, late 80s, and it was about 14 degrees, it snowed earlier that morning. The snow was still in the stadium by the time the game started. Oh, it's wow. A disgusting vet. The tin can. When we played oh. Dallas, the snowball. I was there. I watched fans throw snow, snowballs no shit. at Jim no Johnson. Shit. I saw them hit a ref with a snowball. A guy in our our like uh, aisle, uh, sitting near us, just whipped his huge penis out and just started peeing right in front of me and no my, way. my mother and my father and my my younger brother. That's disgusting. Steaming yellow piss, <laughs> melting all of the snow by the seats, right in front of us, sprinkling onto my shoes. Classic. That's nasty. Dude, it was so cold, we took our gloves and put them on our feet and then put our feet back inside our shoes. Dude. It was bad. That place, that was like such an eye-opener. I think we were in the 700 level. So it was just like the most vulgar oh, yeah. language. Oh, yeah, the bottom of the barrel. Fights like... every six minutes. 
fuck Dallas chance every five minutes. Like I didn't know what was going on. I was dying. I was I was getting frostbite my, my all over my entire body. Dude, that's wild. Yeah, right. And then I think we left. And from then on, I realized like if you go to an Eagles game and tailgate and go inside, buckle the fuck up because it is no joke. It is not a day at the park. It's no uh, way. Seven hundred real... level. Yeah, that's that's notorious. Eagles fans. That's when I knew we were like insane. And the stereotype Dude, is true. That, that it is it is true, and that is uh, th- that level is notorious. Like in the city, oh. you know, it was always any story you saw in the news or about oh. unruly fans. It was always like fans from the seven hundred level. You know. Yeah. Threw live babies at the at the refs, and you're just like, oh gosh, I don't know. Oh my What's gosh. going on I... with uh, Minnesota fans, Bob? Were we throwing full beer cans at at children? No, no, we weren't throwing full beer cans at children or fans or anything. We threw what we did, and let's give a little, you know, it was a little bit much. Preface with with what we did. Okay, so the Minnesota fans roll into Philadelphia. They go to our art museum, right? And they hold a little rally that looks a lot bigger than it really is. But the, if oh, you right. if you if you look out from the rally, it's only about like 150 people. So they had their nice little skull rally where they're doing their skull chant. They're cheerleaders. And then, and then they dress the Rocky statue in Minnesota Viking stuff. You know very, what? Very original. Fine. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right. But you you come into our no town one's and do done that. that. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. And then we kick your ass Man. thirty to seven, and win. Win. Whip your ass. What are we waiting for? Yeah. Take it. And, Thank it. And you have a Fuck. problem with us, you know? And there, I see these videos of you know, and I'm I'm not for this. I'm not for this. And and if you look at the video, it's a lot of young kids, a lot of like late teens, early twenties, college age kids coming up, you know, and drunk as them. hell, a tailgate, yelling at these Minnesota fans, you know, okay, there's no like 50 year old grown men there and nobody's throwing beers at them. We threw beers, the Eagles fans, us, we threw beers at the uh, Vikings bus leaving. That was too much. I'll agree with that. You don't need yeah. to do that. That's, that's a little bit too much. But other than that, you come to our town, you dress a Rocky statue up, you uh, you go on our art museum steps in Philly and do your skull chant. I'm sorry, you're going to take a little bit of flack, and if you can't take that flack, then don't come to our stadium and dress up in your colors and do your thing. Right. right. It's like people go online and they're like, the Philly fans were so rude. They're the most rude fans in the world. Oh, why? What happened? Well, we decorated their Rocky statue well. with a skirt, and then we did a cheer on their steps. And then they threw beer cans at us. Well, I would have thrown, I would have shot you. Yeah. You yeah, very disrespectful. Hole, sir? Yeah, it was very disrespectful. And you, you know what? Do some market research on where you're going. Yeah, do, do some research on where you're going. And when I go to other stadiums wearing my Eagles gear, which I do at least probably once a year. Uh-huh. I went to shop this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, I take crap. I, I had stuff thrown at me. Oh, I don't yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. I'm where I'm, I'm choosing to do that. I'm. You know what? Should they throw stuff at me? Absolutely not. No. But it is yeah. what it is. You know. You yeah, take. You're a man. You wear. People are animals. 
team's colors. So, and I'm a big enough man, you know, you know, I don't have my family with me. I'm not going to do that with my family with me. It's just me and a buddy. We're going in to watch the game and it's fine. And there was, there was nothing that happened. It it was fine. And the people I sat with were, I was in the midst of all Carolina fans. They're all very nice people. And we were very nice to them. Oh, dude. Uh, when I went oh my gosh. We were at the Bucks game, those fans were cool. Uh, we yeah. Didn't, we didn't have to kick any of their asses. No. That was uh, that was the birth of Nick Foles, by the way, that game. Oh, my gosh. Everyone remembers he called the uh, – Oh, my God. Look at – Oh, my gosh. Fourth and goal, Jeremy Macklin. He threw it, and we scored, and we won. And look where we are we now. Yo, and by then... the way, I got in this hu- huge argument with uh, – two buddies of uh, mutual friends of Bob's and I's Clark. Uh, these guys down here, Pete and John, uh, you may have met them at the wedding. I, when Foles first started with the Eagles, I was so high on him. I was like, yo, this kid is exactly what we've been waiting for. We both he, were. Yeah. I was like, he launches the ball. He had shady. He had Deshaun Jackson. Like he had all these weapons and everything Chip, Kelly. Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly. And then oh my gosh. Give everything away and that whole thing just unraveled. But yeah. during that run, when he threw 37 touchdowns and two interceptions in a season, I was drunk and I told John Poland and Pete that Nick Foles would win the Super Bowl. And they took that bet. And, and up until a week ago, I always thought, well, I'm glad they forgot about that because I videotaped it. Oh, beautiful. Yes. Yeah. So um, you are the Linda trip. Again, I will not give a prediction. You will not give a prediction. Um, no, because uh, I know it doesn't matter. And now, sports of John, 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 sports of 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 sports of John, and I get all the facts. Here's the deal. Bob, most of what you said is true. I think defense, I think our rotation of seven uh, front four, seven of seven of possible, seven choices for a front four. We can rotate in, we can keep them all fresh, and we can just stuff Brady's, you know, we just stuff them back, and like, yeah. just like the Giants did. Um, yeah. But like you said with Gronk, I think, I think our secondary is good enough to, to – let Brady do his little chip small ball. Yeah. But, but on those third downs, Chris Long, Jenkins, somebody's going to come oh in my gosh. And, and catch him. Yeah. And uh, I think our running game is going to shock everyone. And I agree. I think Nick Foles is feeling it. And I think this is the most unlikely story in the history of, of stories, not just of football. Uh, a backup quarterback who at one time was looked at as the new hero of Philadelphia, St. Nick. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He disappears from football almost. And then 
he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated with the title, and then Foles happened. Yes, yeah. The the title, uh, the the headline. Yeah, that was, was a great snow cover game. too. And it was better Nick than March shots, like you know, Red Rage or whatever. It was really good. <laughs> oh my gosh, Red Rage, Red Menace. Yeah, Red Racist. Red, red Racist. I red Rocket. Um, and now he, he, Carson Wentz, this rookie quarterback in his second year, has an MVP-like season all the way to the point where it doesn't matter. Takes us there. Everything is clinched. Everything's locked up. Home field, yep. division, everything. Wentz goes down. And Foles comes in and looks like, oh, gosh, now I remember why this guy, you know, almost yeah. was about to retire. And then That's the playoffs. And then the playoffs happen. And he just turned it on and against the best defense, the Vikings, this is what blows my mind. And every year they always get, they're always, they're always pretty accurate with who they claim is the best defense. Right. You know, he should not have been that successful against no, that. defense. No, Never. Man. And I just think he's feeling it. And I think the defense, uh, I, I told Heather this, Remember pick this. Up, Rem- take out the trash. Remember, t- <laughs> remember, remember two, two phrases. Number one. Three interceptions. Number two. We'll let him have one. We'll let him have one. My prediction. Oh, my gosh. Eagles nine. Oh my gosh! I would. I like your prediction better than mine. <laughs> You're a cockeyed optimist, oh like gosh. Billy Mumphrey. Oh, John, you've been reading too many Billy Mumphrey books. Good day, sir. Oh. Good day. If I can just add into that just a little bit, if you don't mind. Slice me. Slice you. No. Yes. In watching the 2004 Eagles. And watching what happened there, we had a team there who uh-huh. half of the team did not believe in Donovan McNabb in Correct. the quarterback. Correct, Armando. This team, and and but we had True. a team with so many uh, talented characters yeah. in their positions, much more than we have right now. But this team has the chemistry. They remind me, and I hate to use this analogy because they didn't go all the way, but they're better than this. They remind me of the 93 Phillies. Oh, I know, man, how they all like, bond and they all are yes, like friends. They, and you can tell they, they love playing each other. together. Yeah. And that matters more in football than it does in baseball. Right. It's the ultimate team sport. And they believe in each other. And the fact that Carson Wentz can go down six right. weeks ago and you have Nick Foles who struggles in his first couple games but then finds his way, and you have a, a Doug Peterson offense that he calls conservative against Atlanta. We beat him 15-13. Right. to 13. Right. And then he, you go 37-38-7 to 38 to 7 against Vikings when you just let Foles air the ball out. Holy shit. Dude, you know. it was two completely different blueprints that they used. And look, it, nothing – Nothing makes less sense than a backup quarterback beating Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. No, but, and it shouldn't happen, and it's probably not going to happen, but it might. But it's just like when the Phillies won the World Series 
Game five stopped halfway through, and the whole world thought, oh, pfft, we're done. We're going to lose that, that was, the end that of was this, it. and then the Rays are going to win the rest of this thing. We're, it, it's, this is how it's going to be. It just seems weird enough for us yeah. to pull this off. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it seems like it's almost a perfect storm based on what's happening and, 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 and the temperature of everything. Or it, it could be done. Or it might be 49 to 6 Patriots. Yes, at it, it could be. We don't know. Uh, what we do know is that Bob, uh, John, and myself have placed a lot of money on this weekend. I'm talking like legs breaking Swing kind of money if we don't pay them by. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball. And, and I don't have a lot of equity, and my, my, my accounts aren't exactly in line. So uh, I had to get away for a while. Exactly might American. Be- might be going down in Georgia for a while to take uh, seek uh, solace and, and refuge. Georgia. 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 Georgia, my man. So it'll be a really exciting game. What are you guys doing for the for the big bowl game? I'll tell you what John and I are doing. We're going to be live streaming the game with some chattery commentary. Fourth quarter on Super Bowl Sunday. John has a new kid, so he'll be at home. thing ever. I got a lot of pets, so I'll be at home. This is going to be the most great, Bob. We agreed, no matter what the score, no matter what ha- what is happening, at the start of the fourth quarter, we're going to go live and just commentate during the game, during the fourth quarter. I don't really know how I'm going to be able to talk, but I'm going to do it for the art. May I join? Do it for the show. Say oh, no. hell yeah. Oh, yeah, if you're Say around. No. Dude, Absolutely. I am. Here's what I'm doing for the Super Bowl. I'm cooking up. I'm making like a bunch of great food and everything. Ooh. And then I's going to eat it all because nice. nobody's going to my house. I'm That's not the way to do it. Over there. Nice. I'm watching it by myself with my family cowering in the corner. Yeah. But I thought about that. I was going to ha- I was thinking about having like a bunch of people over and get all these cheesesteaks. And then I thought, I I'll just see my buddy at a bar. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to drink and drive because I'll definitely drink a lot. I will definitely do shots. So I don't want to like, I just don't want to do that. And I was like, or I can just get like a bunch of food and yeah. just like eat it here and just get wasted. And John pitch, you know, let's do a show. And then I'm like, done. Solid, you know, sign me up, paint my dick black. So I think that's, uh, your guys are around. That it's perfect idea. is going because Bob, like I said, win or lose. Um, if they win, it'll be unbelievable. If they lose, uh, I'm going to go on, a, I'm going to cut a promo on the NFL. <laughs> Cause I'll just be yeah, so I think- disappointed. I I will not be disappointed. I don't think I'll be as disappointed if they lose this time. Right. Uh, uh, but if they win, I'm going to burn my house down. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I'll do it too. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go down to Koreatown and just burn. I already called the uh, I called the insurance company. They said it's totally cool. Yeah, it's it's like one of those it's like an act of god kind of thing. Like a, you yeah. know, you hit a deer or a tornado. It's, it's like kind a service of service animal. And I watched This Is Us. You know, you can have your crockpot go wrong. So. Yeah, you little twinsies can have your little shit happening. This house is getting burned down. Yeah. Like a, a like oh, all the memories. Yeah, fuck that. Eagles won. Fuck. That's the only memory I want. I'm going to be standing fuck outside that. the burned shell of the stone. Eagles home. won. All the memories that. Fuck that. If the Eagles oh. win, I have my gun with one bullet, and I have its use. If the Eagles win, I have the bathtub filled and a toaster with one slice of bread on there. <laughs> that's, 
And and that toaster scene on Groundhog Day is one of the best scenes ever. When he just goes down, he he pulls the toaster out of the wall, like takes it up from the breakfast, little cute little breakfast right that they have at the uh, at the the sleeping cottage there. Right, and the bed of breakfast. Plugs it into the wall. He's in the bathtub and just drops it. <laughs> I love it. Oh yeah. yeah. And, the whole suicide scene is preceded, <laughs> montage is preceded by the scene where he's playing Jeopardy and he knows all the answers or all the questions. And then whenever, at the end, all the old people are clapping oh. and he just opens up Jack Daniels and starts drinking it straight. Yeah. It's like nine in the morning and he's just like. <laughs> Dude, I haven't kills. watched that movie since high school. I, I like, don't yes, remember yes. that. Oh, that movie Wait is so good, John. Wait a minute. Clark has never seen What About Bob? I've seen pieces. You've never watched it from start to finish. Yeah, I haven't nearly seen enough it. Times. I've seen Plane, Trains, and Automobiles, Great Outdoors, but Uncle Buck. Dreyfus and, Will, and Bill Murray. Like, like eight I was in time. Jaws, damn it. Yeah, I was Jaws, damn it, Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I was in Jaws. <laughs> I got to say, I'm going to watch it again. I, it is a great flick, Groundhog Day. I mean, oh, I, I think it's under. It. I, I think it's in the top five best comedies of all time. I'm watching it it's tomorrow. Good. Heather's never so seen good. it. I told her we're watching it to sell the oh, love it. I, I'd be curious of what, because uh, so, Heather's like of a like a slightly younger generation. If she's never seen it, millennial. If, if it would hold up, yeah, what would they think? Because her brother said that Jaws didn't hold up, um, and I, I don't like him uh, His because brain of that. Is a burnt potato chip. I don't. Jaws one. Jaws one. The Quint the Quint scene with Indianapolis is all you need to see, and that movie holds right. up. Yeah, Taking. that whole night when it becomes night on the boat, that, that Robert whole Shaw. part is the best. It's glory. Yeah, it's glory. Robert Shaw carries that movie. I picture Bob telling his wife about his day every night, like even if it's trivial things in the in the um, uh, kind of in the mindset of Quint, like, "Hey, honey, how was yeah. your day?" When I morning to get the paper, paper was in the driveway. Driveway was cold. Deer was in driveway, my no dear. Way. And you're just like, oh, okay. And then Bob's like, but then again, I delivered the Tribune to the, you know, Bob just breaks it long pauses. I drove into work, parked. I took two torpedoes, two torpedoes into my side. Slam <laughs> me, flip me over. Flip me over. Well, you do we Spanish letter. Very well, you do. Gosh, that is the greatest, that is the single greatest movie scene ever. It's amazing, and he was uh, the reason that that scene was so good. He's hammered. He was hammered, and he and he, and he oh, messed yeah. up, and he pulled Spielberg like give me half more shot. Half of it, he's hammered. You can tell because you can look at his eyes. Yeah. Half of it, he's hammered. The other half, he's sober. Yes. You can tell. His it's eyes a beautiful are glassy matter. and slanted, and then yeah. towards the end, they like are are you know bright and twinkle. He. Chinese he's man. So many great movies. The Battle of Britain. Yes, good flick. And uh, the one in Pittsburgh where he, the blimp. Yes. Um, what the hell's the name of that? He, but he was he was a good guy. Zeppelin. Yeah. Good actor. He, he died two Ze- years after Jaws. Yeah. Zeppelin. He was coming back from the island of Tinian to Lady. just delivered the bum, the Hiroshima bum. 1,100 men went into the water. Vessel went down in 12 minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, 13 footer. You know, you know that when you're in the water, Chief. You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. Well, we didn't know. 
But our bomb mission had been so secret, no distress signal had been sent. <laughs> they didn't even list us overdue for a week. Very first light, Chief. Sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, it's kind of like old squares in a battle, like you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo, and the idea was, shark comes to the nearest man, that man, he start pounding and hollering and screaming, and sometimes the shark would go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, he doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white and then... Yorka. But are we, are we doing like uh, Eagle's History or uh, what's... Jaws Eagle's History. We're going to talk yeah, about Jaws Eagle's Eagles. Jaws Eagle's, okay. Yeah. That's perfect. Randall Cunningham loved Jaws Basically three. my childhood. Right, yeah. Randall Cunningham loved Jaws 3, and here's why. Yes. And remember when Randall Cunningham was rolling out and he got eaten by that shark? <laughs> Cunningham. Oh, I goes, wish Cunningham was in his 93 season. Wouldn't you like to see Cunningham on a, uh, as a commentator on like Monday Night Football or something like that? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Is he a good, he's a good speaker. I mean, like, you know. He's a reverend. He's, he's a, a, he's a, he's a man. He's a man of the cloth. He is. Hmm. Man of the Cloth. Hmm. Eagle, speaking of Eagles history, I'll tell you who, whose autograph I got a week before he died was uh, Jerome Brown, number ninety-nine. Remember no. him? You shitting yeah. me? Yeah, oh, shit. I was, I was, I was there. My my dad was, my dad lived in Florida, and he was like flying back, you know, at the time, and he sat next to him on the plane. The guy took up three seats. He said, and uh, he got his autograph. Jerome Brown actually had a card with him. I guess he keeps for like fans if he travels. Oh, yeah. And he signed it, you know, to Matthew, Jerome Brown, and then a week later he died in, in Florida in, oh, in, a, in a car accident. My God. Flipped the uh, car. Really sad. Yeah. But I have that autograph still. It's in a it's in a plastic case. Really uh really one of the Oh my you know, god. Don't ever oh my sell gosh. Don't ever sell that, Clark. Oh never. That's not oh, one. Oh my gosh. The other autograph I have that I keep close here is uh what? You guys know Mickey Borandini? Oh my Mickey God. Morandini, second baseman for the Philadelphia Phillies. Number 12 got on him. the program. Not I got something to show you. He's actually a hitting coach for the team right now. Yeah, Mickey Morandini. Second so baseman. I, he signed it to Matthew. I signed my card to him too much. <laughs> I have Harry Callis' autograph and Richie Ashton. Oh, shit. On a baseball, bitch. Do you really? I handed it to him in the booth at a spring training game, and they both Dude. signed it. You have it like at your house? Is it or is yeah. it like with Jeff? No, I oh, still nice. have it. Yeah, it's him. Dude, that's amazing. It's in my domicile. Oh man. My dad has Mr. White's autograph on a baseball. It's breathtaking. John actually. Madden football two thousand eighteen predicts Patriots seventeen Eagles twenty. I like that. Who's that, Bob? This is Chuck Bednarik. Oh, oh yeah. Concrete Charlie, my brother got me this. I'm showing a photo to the boys of this is Chuck Bednarik standing over Frank Gifford after the hit that the famous hit that he made. 
Dude. Saying this effing game is over. My brother got me this picture for Christmas about three years ago, signed by Chuck Bednarik about a year and a half before he died. Concrete Charlie. He's amazing. Yeah. I got a story about him. My Aunt Mary, who's a, a geriatric nurse, took care of him when he was passing. Really? In Pennsylvania, yeah. Bethlehem? Charlie. Yep. Yeah, she was in a mess. It's uh Amazing story that guy. That's that you should hold on to that for that that should be in your kids' kids house someday. And you know? people don't people don't realize he Incredible. was a player. Those guys yeah. back in one day, they, they had they had uh, jobs other than the NFL because their game check was like five hundred bucks. They were roofers, a lot of them. You know? They were like roofers and contract uh contractors and it's amazing. That's a great autograph, man. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I treasure that one. I love him. And, I, and my brother actually got me his throwback jersey, too. So that, uh, that's something I love. That That is – he is forever an eagle. Oh, yeah. That is the – that's the that's the embodiment of an eagle when yes. you look at what they've grown into and evolved to today and to, you know, the Brian Dawkins and, you yeah. know, the people a, that we now – attach ourselves to in this generation. So it's, that's awesome. It's incredible. I, I don't have, any, I don't have concrete Charlie, but I have concrete Pete, the guy that laid my drywall and cement outside. He's not a football player. I just, <laughs> I just got, I just got a signature on a, a something about a, a cease and desist and a lawsuit about not paying him. Actually, it's not, I don't want to talk about it. Actually. Frank Gifford caught the ball underneath a veterinary and he was trying to get to the sideline to stop the clock. Well, he got stopped. I mean, he got hit. Bednarik hit him, and, and he... It's not a big deal. Concrete dude, Pete. Jerome Brown, man, that's awesome. And yeah. you, know, you know what's cool about this Super Bowl? I don't know if you guys realize this. February 4th is uh, the day of the Super Bowl is Jerome Brown's 50th birthday. No shit. I did not know that. Or maybe he's Bob, you're full of facts, man. Sure. You're full of all the knowledge. Uh, no, I just that's saw this amazing. on Twitter. You know so much stupid crap i'm taking in you know no way man you're a fountain of knowledge um speaking of anniversaries on the slow bus what no that's me man my tongue it's like uh you know harry and dumb and dumber my tongue is stuck to that window in the slow bus and it's it's not coming off anytime soon cup of warm water with you it's there cup of warm water speaking of anniversaries this is the uh anniversary of the uh space shuttle columbia man having a kid's yes. Which uh, sadly <laughs> burned up in uh, it, 2004. Uh, it, they, they came through the atmosphere in 2003 uh, with a mortal wound on the uh, right side of the leading edge of the wing right. where the, the most maximum heating occurs. And uh, it burned right through. The shuttle's uh, uh, frame is aluminum. And aluminum melts at 800 degrees. When the shuttle goes through reentry, it gets up to 3,500 degrees. So wow, they, things they, they that you know. Bob, you, you're a fountain of youth, and we all need to be drinking from that spigot because you know a lot, man. Oh, my gosh. That's no. crazy. The space shuttle, John, we were talking about the space shuttle Columbia. Mm. It's the 15th anniversary of the shuttle. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I, I've been a little choppy tonight. Uh, the Skype thing's throwing me off that I can't see you guys, and the baby's kind of waking up, falling asleep, waking up, falling asleep. Uh, Let's slice tonight the W. So my attention has been sloppy, and I apologize. I will see you both at the fourth quarter. We will all hold up our four fingers and perhaps watch history. 
Yeah. I know a was, lot of people that went to Iraq. They're not shooting up airports. I think that's just an excuse. Yeah, and he he was in a, a public air restroom in, in Alaska, and he was screaming at his girlfriend to get out of the bathroom. And then eventually he went into the women's bathroom and, like, pulled her out and was, like, pulling her by her head and, like, smacking her on the side of the head. Like, get the fuck out of here, you bitch. Uh, yeah. What a piece and, of shit. And then he takes his gun, his registered gun. Yeah. He flies from Alaska to Minnesota. Awesome. From Minnesota down to Fort Lauderdale. Gets his gun at the baggage claim. Goes into the bathroom, assembles it, loads it, comes out. Just went to town. How the hell does that happen? So, we're back. Bob and Matt here on History Hour. Podcast History Hour. We're talking about Spatial Columbia, which on February 1st, 2003, uh, did it explode? Um, Was it reentry or what what happened exactly? It was reentry. It broke apart. Uh, Basically, uh, what happened was so the shuttle flies with a stack of the orbiter, which is which is the, the actual shuttle that lands on the runway after the mission is over. You have two solid rocket boosters on either side. Those are the two white things that separate uh, about two minutes and 15 seconds in a flight. Then you have the external tank, which is attached to the belly of the orbiter that lands. Of fuel. Uh, Yes. And that's all the fuel for the three main engines on the space shuttle orbiter. How much fuel are we talking about there? uh, Millions of gallons. Millions? Uh, maybe not millions, uh, hundreds of thousands. Basically those main engines could drain a swimming pool in, uh, 20 seconds, an Olympic swimming pool. Wow. So I'm not, not millions. I think it's like something like 800,000. It's it's hydrogen, oxygen and hydrogen. Uh, and, and uh, I'm sorry, it's super cold oxygen and super cold hydrogen. Wow. So it's, it's both of those. And the foam has been shedding off the shuttle for every single flight since the first one in 1981. Keep flying these. You know, you have the Challenger disaster in 1983. That was an O-ring. That was on the booster. That was a whole different story. So they keep flying these. Right. So it's like it. the foam shutting off and it's doing and, and every flight they have foam coming off of the external tank, the, the, the foam to keep the, the fuel super cooled because you're talking liquid hydrogen, Li- hydrogen only turns to a liquid when you heat it, well, when you heat it, when you cool it to almost absolute zero, same thing with liquid oxygen. And that, those are the two fuels ah. the space shuttle main engines ran on. So the, the think of the external tanks on the space shuttle as a giant thermos. Okay. A giant lightweight thermos. Propelling them and, and, and feeding the fuel that needed for the three. Advanced prototype. You mean more advanced than you are? Yes. And me mending poly alloy. What the hell does that mean? Liquid metal. Yeah. Uh, yes. Three engines. And okay. Have you ever seen... Where they, uh, you know, when they like re, uh, 
re-insulate your house where they have the sprayer thing. They spray yeah. into your like attic and you know all that stuff. That's right. the same thing they spray onto the side of the external tank of the space shuttle, essentially, what they used to. Is that to keep it cooled and uh, sealed? Yeah, to make sure it's cold and sealed. Nice. So every mission, that stuff is breaking off and hitting the orbiter, the, the vehicle. And these tiles the space shuttle has and the thermal... Uh, protection it has literally you you could hit it with you could hit with a hammer like that and would crack it is it titanium alloy that titanium alloy is the structure of the shuttle the thermal outlay of the shuttle with the tiles and the reinforced carbon carbon uh that is basically sand and glass wow because of the pressure they have to build it that way yeah Right. Yeah, and the heating, the heating, because when the shuttle comes in through reentry, it oh right, it, it it's it's hotter than the surface of our sun, and that's what it has to survive coming in. And it's it the most dangerous it. part of the whole thing. Yeah, that launch and reentry are the most the two most dangerous parts. So anyway, so you have this foam falling off of this external tank. And it just so happened on that uh, that foam fell and hit the worst part it could on the space shuttle, which is the leading edge of the right wing on the reinforced carbon-carbon. Oh. Is, that is where the space shuttle gets the most heating, 3,500 degrees during reentry, hotter than the surface of our sun that heats Jeez. the Earth from that far away. And it punched a hole probably about the size of a briefcase in it. Okay. And they saw this on launch. They saw it hit. And they've seen this on other launches. They didn't think much of it. And this was a micro – this was a, uh, a space lab mission, which means the, the space shuttle Columbia at that point was – we had the space station in orbit. And we had the space shuttle Columbia was the first shuttle to fly into orbit. It was too heavy to fly to the space station. They didn't want to refit it to fly to the space station. The taxes had been cut, the expenses and all that stuff. They couldn't do it. So they were doing a low Earth orbit microgravity 16-day mission basically in the space shuttle. And the original plan was to service the space station? No, no, no. They, they're in a totally different orbit than the space station. This is just a low orbit flight. For uh, information, Do, exploration kind of thing. Doing their own thing. Yep. Doing their own thing. So, yep. So they – and after every space shuttle launch, they review the mission the, – the the ascent tapes of the space shuttle going up. And, you know, they, they, they see this impact obviously and they don't think too much of it. So they say, you know, hey, they have a couple of observatories look at the shuttle – and they don't really see too much, but they don't really make it. NASA doesn't make too much of an effort. And with the way the payload bay doors are open over the shuttle wings, 
the astronauts can't see the massive hole that is going to kill them on the space shuttle for 16 days that they're on orbit. When you say observatories, you mean the, uh, you know, the the lighthouse observatories that right, and they're they're looking at this thing that closely, and they know it's they recognize there's a situation here. Yeah. What could have been done though? I mean, can you really do anything at that point? Could they have the astronauts repair that in a way? Or it's a great question because they're and 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 your question before your comment before. They're not in the space station orbit, and they can't get in the space station orbit. They don't have that capability. It's a whole different orbit, and they, you can't do that. You know, It doesn't work like it does in the movies. They're stuck in that orbit, essentially. Uh, they, they probably would have been able to get another space shuttle launched to save them uh, against all of their launch constraints. They would have just waved all the launch constraints you know, for human safety and gotten it up there, obviously, to, to save some lights. Yeah. Are they Probably. like substratosphere? Like they're like three layers outside of the. They're like yeah. they're like 240 miles. They're they're maybe like 180, 210 miles up, which is a very low Earth orbit. Yeah, that is a low Earth orbit. So upon reentry, this happened because of the yes. pressure, yes. the speed, and and the heat. Uh, this thing blew up. Now was this an instantaneous yeah. explosion? Was this a painful death for them? Like how did this? How now, did the whole picture play comes out? In. Space shuttle comes in, it's an airplane, and it's coming in the the atmosphere like an airplane. It's not like the Apollo air, the the Apollo space cla- spacecraft, the capsules that come in with an ablative heat shield that the, right. the, the, the heat the, the heat burns off the heat shield, and they basically just turn it, you know, and the the blunt end takes the mass of it. The space shuttle has its bottom end coming in with its leading edges and its nose taking the brunt of the heat. And the uh, the right wing leading edge is what took the hit on launch, and had the hole in it. And so you're talking three thousand five hundred yeah. degrees hitting that that edge, and it's bleeding in like a blowtorch onto aluminum skin that melts at eight hundred degrees. There's no chance of recovery from that, and when you're when you're no. doing it that quick, once uh, you're coming it's in, imminent. done. And Columbia eventually, they go through roll reversals to slow the shuttle down. So the shuttle comes in at 17,500 miles an hour, and it just pancakes into the atmosphere. Wow. And they're just trying to bleed off speed, so they do roll reversals. So they'll come in at, like, you know, a high pitch rate and then turn the shuttle another one way or another way to steer it, you know, 1,000 miles left or 1,000 miles right because they're going so fast. Yeah, what but do you do? Speed, yeah, that speed quickly bleeds off, and they're coming in. And you can see, actually, there's videos on YouTube where you can see pieces of the shuttle falling off over California before it breaks up over Texas and Louisiana. I've seen some of those. And and there's also some videos, too, like the related thumbnail videos of that, where uh, people are finding different pieces of the craft in various parts of the country and where that is. And to to just think about the velocity that they're going at and and, and uh, how, how well, five miles that a second. 17,500 miles an hour is five miles a second when you hit the atmosphere. It's unbelievable. And just the, uh, the timing uh, of that stuff is like trying to fly like a, uh, you know, like a plane around the world and fit into the size of like, you know, uh, like a paperclip, like a chance of like the precision that you have to deal with. Are you with is able? Hey, guys, I'm, I'm here. Uh, there he is. I, I yes. Can't, I can't speak loudly. Um, Bob, is it even possible to throw up 
in, you know, when you're like lifting off in a space shuttle, I'll hang up and listen. No, not when you're not when you're lifting off. The astronauts, when they would get space sick, would be in space because when you get weightless, everything in your stomach comes up. And it was funny. They had a problem and they only noticed this on the shuttle because they were flying so many people. They're flying, you know, seven man crew instead of a three man crew in Apollo. Right. You didn't really pay attention to it. Oh, but certain people got space sickness and certain other people didn't. And it, there was no rhyme or reason to it. Right, it's just whose stomach was stronger. Okay, thank you. Yeah, like, yeah, almost seasick. like, like seasickness. You know, some people get seasick yeah. on your sea charter and some people don't. Some people are right. close and some aren't. Yeah, I don't get seasick on a boat, but some people will so, start throwing up. As Colombians, like, coming through the atmosphere there, it's, it's basically the right wing is coming off. I'm sorry, it's the left wing. The left wing is coming off. And the astronauts don't know this until... They start to see like they're getting heat sensor warnings on their landing gear and because basically the heat hasn't taken the wing off, but all of the heat is bleeding through the wing and blowing the down on the shuttle. And <clears throat> and that's when they knew they had a big problem. And as soon as Houston radioed to them, uh, you know, when they really got worried about the tire sensors, uh, they basically said something like, I see your tire sensor pressure and I don't copy your last. And that was it. That's when the left ring tore off. And the shuttle just started twirling and the G forces essentially ripped all of them out of their seats. They bounced around the cockpit and they burned up. Oh, it was a horrible geez. way to go. That was horrible. Challenge. What yeah. was the time frame between, uh, you know, when the, the wing ripped off to them burning up? Were we talking like a matter of seconds or probably like a minute? Wow. And Houston, uh, you know, mission control, when they're contacting them at that point. Before the explosion, before the wing ripped off, was there anything they could really even do? No. Was it like, I mean, they knew it was, it was, the book was done. It was, it's, it's once, over. once that thing came out of orbit, once Columbia came out of orbit and started going through reentry, they were dead. Just like on the Challenger, once those hold down bolts blew and they lifted off, they were dead. <laughs> and to have that happen too, uh, that was the first. Major, uh, was it the first disaster since the Challenger in the NASA, uh, you know, NASA program? The spatial you, had the, you had the Apollo 1 fire, which unfortunately happened on the pad. That still scares on, me when you talked about on that. An unfueled, on an unfueled rocket. Then you had the Challenger, which happened in flight. You know, the shuttle breaks up at 48,000 feet. The crew compartment drifts up to 69,000 feet and then finally arcs over and goes back into the ocean. And you have Columbia, which comes smashing in through the atmosphere at 17,500 miles an hour. They broke up doing about probably Mach 17 or 16. Yeah. <laughs> G-forces, once you start spinning, you know, nobody survives that. You're dead. You're, you're, everything is scrambled inside. Hopefully yeah, right. You're like in a blender. Hopefully that happened before because here's the deal. Like the – and. This is horrible to say, but the pilot and the commander seats in the space shuttle flight deck are set. Those are not going to move. They hopefully passed out when that started to happen, when they started to try to put in inputs when the wing came off. The other seats with the mission specialists and the payload specialists would have come unhinged and they would have been bouncing all over the cockpit or pinned up against one side dead. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, it was, it wasn't a pretty That's horrible. Yeah. Did they recover any of the bodies or did they just burn up? <clears throat> no, they recovered uh, the bodies. 
they they got then they got like the yeah they got like torsos heads arms yeah that's terrible where are they buried at are they buried in in texas are they all their own at their own request i think uh i i think like like just like the challenger astronauts i think some of them like mike smith and dick scoby the challenger the commander and pilot uh they're both buried at arlington yeah, Arlington. I knew a few were buried there. Uh, I'm sure. I, I don't know where Rick Husband uh, is buried. He was the commander of that mission. Um, was he the black guy? No, no. I, I I forget that. And this is horrible. I forget the I forget the name. No, no. You know more than than 90 percent of the people. But I read a story recently about the family of the you know the African American gentleman that that perished there and his uh, on Columbia. Yeah, and they were talking about. Um, you know, because she's older now, and she was talking about her dad and like what it was like to see him go, and it's just it's heart wrenching, really, yeah. to see that. And you don't, you gotta understand, like this too was like this was like two years after nine eleven, so this right. wasn't the same as Challenger was. Challenger was devastating, watching that happen live. We watched a space shuttle break up live over, but it didn't affect us as much because we saw three thousand people get killed in New York City. <laughs> I remember that. I remember when it happened. It was almost a uh, not an afterthought, but it wasn't as uh, gut wrenching as it, as it would have been in uh, you know as yeah. the Challenger because of that. We're kind of numb a little bit. Yeah, Challenger voice, but, made uh, me feel like comes. oh well, they're trying to blast a rocket ship into outer space. I guess that just happens all the time. It blows up by accident. I'll hang up and listen. Right. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll hang up. With, I think John needs to start uh, having his interaction daily conversations like with people actually in front of him like that like so how was your weekend i'm gonna close my mouth and just listen to you now and then like turn around they're like oh, it was good i had a cheesesteak um when you talk about the space the you know space program we've alluded to this in previous shows we're all very excited for what the future is in store for um do you think this is going to be a, a re you know a revolution a, a reinvention of the space program as we know it, or is it just going to be kind of the same thing, but like some cooler things added? I mean, we're talking about going to Mars. We're talking about all kinds of things that haven't been done. Are we going to see this in the next 10 years or is this going to be, you know, like baby steps? I don't know if we're going to Mars in the next 10 years. I doubt we will. I don't think so. We we can't, uh, we don't have the vehicles to support humans that long, but the space program is awesome right now. Just look at SpaceX. You're looking at boosters that I don't know if you go on yeah. YouTube, just YouTube SpaceX booster that Elon comes Musk. down after it launches a rocket up and then lands back on a launch pad at, at Cape Canaveral. Yeah, I mean, so you it's have carrier technology. the private sector of the space program, and then you have still have the government sector, which is going to launch the this year. It's going to happen. I think in July they're going to launch the biggest yep. rocket since the Saturn V, and SpaceX is going to about to launch the biggest rocket since the Saturn V in two weeks. Saturn V was and, the seventh, and they're launching a Tesla to Mars. Right? Yeah, I know. Elon Musk, he's a Bond villain. It's going to happen, and Trump better take credit for the the government side of that. I want them oh, to he, know he that better. this is because of him. All right, he, he personally designed this missile. When did the Saturn V take off? Was that the seventies? That missile? Uh, I think the first rocket. Was 66. 66. 67. Saturn V, Titan II. You're talking about this technology coming out between 1963 and 1982. It's amazing. Yeah, the power behind slide it. rules to figure this shit out. No, it's amazing. Oh my gosh. Isn't that funny, though? You know, what they have. I'm really excited for what, you know, what the space race, <laughs> uh, space race, what the space program is going to have in the next five, six years. You're going to see a lot of that. 
bringing in the private sector is the best thing they could have done. And actually, the yeah, show well, ran the private money. sector for for about fifteen years before right. before they 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 mothballed it. It's less money you have to earmark yeah. for taxes. You can sell it better. You have rich guys interested in this that have too much money. You know, you have Elon Musk. Let's throw some money in here. You have uh, like Richard Branson. Weed. Like we. <laughs> John's launching the Weed 4 this weekend. It's a rocket in the shape of a bong. It's going from Okeechobee to Cape Canaveral. And they're just going to sit around and just going to sit and that. Just going to smoke a little bit. But uh, very excited for that. Really excited for that. They, I think they need to earmark some more pork for the uh, space program because there's stuff out there we haven't even scratched the surface And not up. just that, not just the, the discovery, but the spinoffs we get from it, the, the technology we get from it. We wouldn't have microwaves. We wouldn't have smartphones. We wouldn't have right. GoPro. We wouldn't have Tang. Oh, my gosh, Tang. Right, yeah, space juice. Um, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. The, oh my gosh. the byproducts <laughs> oh my gosh. of the space program. We wouldn't have the personal computer. No, oh my gosh. not at all. Space program. They had to catch up. They, okay, so the space program is designed like, here, here's something we know little about. We need to get here, but we don't have technology. So we got to invent technology as we go to meet these requirements. And because of that, you have these byproducts, like you said, like the microwave and all that. And it's really just fascinating. But we're talking about the 60s and the 50s here. Think about now and what we could find just by doing that. It could be incredible. There could be flying cars in Georgia that Bob will drive at Mach 2. But just him. Could definitely be Mach 2. What, if that's the limit, it's Mach 2. It's Mach 2. That's how it's happening. Well, what's your favorite uh, aspect of, the, of of NASA? Do you like the Apollo program because it was so new? Or are you more of a, a traditionalist? I love the, the, ex, the exploring of the Apollo program, but I still have to go back to the space shuttle as the best aircraft ever built. Yeah. It was the a best, plane flying in space. Hypersonic aircraft ever built. It's amazing. Yeah. We talked about this before. You can't come close to it. The Russians built two, and, you know, that fizzled out. I mean, you can't, you can't it touch it. It bankrupted them. It bankrupted them. As soon as they saw this thing lift off, they knew, holy shit, we're behind. We are, we are, we are behind. in big trouble. We are fucked. And it, this, you, you can argue, you can probably write an academic paper and argue that the space shuttle spent the Russians into the ground and won the Cold War. That's a very good argument, actually, to have. Because the space race at that time, it was all about two things. Uh, the space race and the nuclear uh, arm development. Yeah. And to, 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 it's such a huge blow for the Soviet Union to get behind uh, the U.S. to realize that it was very humbling for them, and it it crumbled really within five years of that happening. And there's a reason why the space shuttle payload bay was the size it was. What's that? Because it could carry a nuclear armament. Oh, is that why they did that? Oh my they gosh. did that not just not just for that reason, wow. but that's part of it. I never knew that. It's very interesting. Total, total mind fuck to the Soviets. That really is. It could carry they a nuke. Could, that, they, they could just take a picture of the shuttle and figure that out within seconds. I mean. Wow. Yeah, you look at that and you think you could carry a nuke in there. It's kind of a. Yeah. And know, drop guns it bigger than yours. You know, have it orbiting the earth and just drop it faster than a ballistic missile could send it. And it's untouchable from yeah. where it is. That's amazing. That's incredible. I feel like with the. Uh, the, the Soviets and, and, and the U.S. in the 80s where everything was coming to a head, where it was boiling up, uh, 
with that race, the Soviets kind of knew the shit's over. You know, the way that it was with Brezhnev and Khrushchev is not reality anymore. We have open talks with Reagan. Uh, Gorbachev is more of a modernist. They kind of knew it was over before a lot longer than, you know, they said, you know, it's done. The writing was on the wall, so to speak. And uh, they were kind of just, you know, hanging out for a couple of years, you know, waiting for this to take place. Because with the space shuttle and the nuke talks, uh, the, it was kind of done. They kind of knew they lost. What do you think? I think so, too. I think they drug it out. And mm-hmm. I think it was just a case of Probably. everything eventually added up to a point where uh, what, what's his name with the uh, the blotches on his head? Gorbachev. Gorbachev. Mikhail. Yeah. Uh, Mikhail. He 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 knew it wasn't sustainable anymore. Right. It was too bulky. You had all these satellite countries yeah. that they controlled. You had troops in every country. You had. Uh, lots of money spent, and it just was too bulky. And to this day, there are fields and, and towns of abandoned Soviet aircraft and tanks just sitting there because they just built too much. They're just rotting away. The Soviet space shuttles are still abandoned in a hangar in the Siberian desert. Yes, there's a, actually a great article on that. If you go to webberberns.com, yeah. there's an article on the Soviet space shuttles. They're still there. there. Still there. And they have fields and graveyards of tanks and, and Soviet MiGs that cost millions of dollars or millions of rubles just wasting away there. That never flew. That never flew. Just, rubles. I think, uh, I, think the rubles. Soviet, I, think, I think Russia still has the largest um, armament of tanks in the world, though. Is that, is that still an accurate number? They still have, like, more tanks than anybody. I don't know how practical tanks are. Um, good for them. Thumbs up. Yeah. yeah, right. I don't know how good tanks are anymore. Um, eh, when when we're in desert combat like we've been in, if you don't have an aircraft like the A-10 Warthog, yeah. the tanks are still pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. And that's a uh, that's what's called a uh, soul crusher. When uh, you start shooting, like ruining a regiment or, or, or like getting into a tank war with our tanks against somebody else's tanks. That quickly lets them know that uh, we're not fucking around and you're not going to win. No, you don't mess with the U.S. Any situation, you can't, you can't deal with the uh, – go against that technology. We uh, literally have rounds that are so evil that will get into the tank. We don't just pierce the armor, but the round has an armor-piercing shell. It gets into the tank, and then the round bounces in around the, the tank and just takes care of everybody in there. It's incredible. <laughs> magic. Yeah, the, <laughs> one tank can cause so magic because of so much damage. And it just goes to show you the superiority of American technology with take the Gulf of Gulf of Sidra incident. Was it 80, 81? Uh, it's off of the coast of Libya. Two F 14s take off. And then there was like, I think, two F 4s from the Libyan Air Force take off. And they tried to go like head to head with mm. two F-14s, and they just they kept setting these planes up, and they just couldn't match. F-14s with uh, Phoenix missiles that you can shoot before you see them. Right. You could, they couldn't match them, and these guys kept taking off and, like, turning around and then trying to come back, and they just, like, they, they just couldn't deal with it. Basically, the F-14 presence and the maneuver, maneuverability uh, scared yeah. them, and it's just amazing to see, uh, just to show you in combat how much more advanced that technology is. I mean, we, we have political debates about flying robots in this country today with drones and, their, and you know technology. I mean, you can't 
you, you just can't you can't argue with that. Judgment Day is you know? inevitable. <laughs> I will listen now. I will listen. So, First it's good stuff. I wanted to crowbar this in before we go. Uh, briefly, I mentioned this in another show, and I know John's heard it, so I won't dwell into it. But the Reagan Library, if you have yes. a chance to go there, one of the planes from the uh, incident I just mentioned is there, one of the F-14s. Not one of the actual ones, but one model to look like it is there. But they have the original uh, uh, Air Force One there that served from uh, Reagan. Uh, maybe maybe it was Ford. I don't remember, but re- at least Reagan. Like Bush, probably, until they got the 747. Yeah, it was right until Bush 2001, and they, they yeah. switched it up. No, uh, no, Daddy Bush. Daddy Bush. I think Daddy Bush. Like Daddy Bush. He ordered the 747s. Which could go a lot faster. The, the, that one could go uh, – they couldn't go to like from you know L.A. to the Philippines or something. They had to stop in Hawaii and refuel where the ones today yeah. could, I think go like 6,500 6, miles yeah. without refuel. Or they could just have, they have couldn't, to – They couldn't mid-air refuel, I don't think. They couldn't. No, that that's what they were they were saying there. They couldn't mid-air. Well, now they can have the what is it, the KC-130 tanker. I don't. Yeah, the KC-135 tanker now. 35. And they have two. They have two Air Force Ones that always go where the president goes. So, and they both get refueled and they get refuel on air and they don't touch down. They take off from Andrews Air Force Base, join Andrews Air Force Base. They don't touch down until they're gone where they're going. Oh, they have two KC-135. Follows uh, No, they have two 747s uh, that look like Air Force One that go. Oh, really? Same. Yeah, in case one breaks down. Interesting. Wow. The more you know. Uh, It's incredible. Uh, They have the Marine one that Johnson used there, and they don't have Reagan's because it's still in service, but they said once it's deactivated or decommissioned or whatever, (laughs) they'll have it there. The Marine one helicopter that Reagan used is still in service. Holy crap. It's still in service by the Marines. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Marine one. Yeah, they they are right across the Potomac River. They fly right over and just plop it right down on the lawn there. Is it's is it a Sikorsky? I don't, I don't know helicopters as much I'm as I know. I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not up to speed on the helicopters. <laughs> I say, yeah, you're probably right, but I, I, I could be wrong. But but they have um, the uh, presidential limousine there. Um, it's amazing to see what that looks like, though. It's, it's tough. Yeah, it's, it's a Reagan's. It's a boxy Cadillac at the time, yeah. state of the art. But now it's you know it's kind of funny. It's. It's yeah. it's cool, but it's not you know. Yeah, it looks like a Cadillac that just they threw some armor on and bulletproof glass. That's on. what it looks like. Yeah, it just looks yeah. heavy. Now they have the custom built one where I don't know if you guys watched the beginning of the State of the Union where Trump was leaving the White House. I love to watch that. I just love the the pomp and the circumstance. Oh, and, it's my favorite. And Fat you know, loser. <laughs> Orange. You see one of the Secret Service agents walk out. You don't get a, an idea of the size of it until he goes and opens the door. And the top of the car is still like three inches over his head. It's huge. It's like getting into a pickup truck that is a, a limousine. If you watch videos on YouTube like I do it late at night because I have a lot of problems in my life about presidential <laughs> – I watch like presidential motorcades because I just think they're cool. I saw – I've seen three live ones in my life, and I, I think there's nothing cooler than seeing like one man being – you know, paraded like that. And when you watch these videos, you can see, all right, you see the, uh, the, the police motorcycles and then you see some police cars and then you see some government vehicles. And then you see, these, SUVs coming through. you see the SUVs and you see some vans and then you see the limousine and it's so high. It, it's yeah. not a, it's not like a, you know, a Lincoln town car limousine that you see in like home alone. It's, no. it is so, it's like a little tank. Although, I mean, you could, it, they're built to withstand like a, 
you know, a bazooka. A, rocket, a direct rocket attack and still have the engine run to get on a, like a mile down the road. So the limousine, because they have three limousines. Right. Three of them. One goes in front, then they have the presidential one, then they have the backup one behind them. So if the presidential one gets disabled, you know, they can just push him into another one or medevac him out. Get it would him just be another. really cool if he was poisoned and all that protection to nothing. <laughs> welcome to welcome to being dark with John, John, John. Yeah. Being dark with John, John. Whispers with John, John. John. Late night whispers with John. John, John, John. Late night fantasy whispers with John, John. Call John, get in here. Call us now for girls. Yes, I gotta keep when you my talk about the down, I'm here. We'll, we'll wrap it up in a minute, but but talking about the presidential. Uh, I know we're all over the place tonight, but this is you know we haven't had a lot of Bob and. You know, I have an addiction in my life and a fever. As to I John, the only prescription is, and John's baby is, is more Bob and, and uh, antibiotics. But um, when you talk about a presidential motorcade, I think the largest one ever was Bush at the Republican National Convention in 2004 because of all the protests. And uh, that kind of set the standard for how it is today in a lot of ways. But the amount of vehicles that go through, you got to think, these are traveling by plane to whatever location mm-hmm. on the ground. I mean, it's it's amazing to think that these things are flown around like uh, like yeah, luggage. They, they put them in C-17 Starlifters. Is that uh, what it is, Starlifter? Yeah. yeah, and uh, I think they have like three or four of them that bring the entire motorcade in to wherever it's they're amazing. going. And then you have the problem too is when you go to like a country, uh, say you go say you go to one of these shithole countries in Africa. Yeah. Right, shithole country. <laughs> go to Rwanda. Yeah, yeah, like our president say. That's that's what that's not my comment. That's our president's comment. Oh no, we get it. We we appreciate it. But well, regardless. So you you land both of the Air Force ones there. <laughs> you land three C-17s there, and then you're landing like another two C-130s or another two C-17s <laughs> there for another Secret Service backup. Right. And then you already have the Secret Service back uh, advance team there. On all their shit, I mean, like it is a massive undertaking, and Expensive. how are you going to fuel these planes back up? Right. Yeah. It's you need fuel to... good in that country. Right. You have this wow. secret section goes in and dip tests the fuel. Yeah, you sure have to. It's not. It's not like booby trapped. <laughs> that is so true and so funny. You have like the prime minister of England visit, and they're like in an upgraded like British Airways flight coming down, you know. Oh, like, I'm coming in. They they have removed some seats for me in my bed. Right. <laughs> and then you have the president come and it's like five planes. Like, But that's so true though. Imagine going to one of these quote unquote shithole countries where they're, you know, their GPD is like, you know, as much as, you know, New York City. And uh, you have, you know, these three planes come down and this guy gets off. That's what needs to happen. The, the uh, I think Bob, you need to travel that way. If you go like to like a wedding out of state, you need to just like rent a bunch of planes and cars. Oh, like, why are you doing this? We used to do this in uh, I guess like when we were nineteen twenty. Biscardi, one of the other hosts of the show, had a Lincoln Town Car that was fairly new, and our other buddy, and he also his dad had a uh, a new uh, like a Tahoe. So there were like two government looking vehicles. So what we used to do is if he went on a date with like a girl, my friend Matt and I would follow in the town. The Tahoe with suits on and these fake earpieces, and we'd get out and be like, "Hey, we have a special client coming. We need to check around." You know, the Biscardi would come out in like a T-shirt, and be like, "I'm here to eat." Great. And, and if some server, so, so, I remember some waitress was like, "You guys are assholes. Like, wh- who is this?" And I'm like, I'm not, "Not able to talk to it." And I and I'm not a tough, tough-looking guy, 
So to see me come out was funny, but then our friend Claus was like six foot eight, so they're like, oh no, something's legit. But we used to show up like assholes at like restaurants in Lambertville, New Jersey, and get out first and be like, secure the perimeter and all this. Then you have like Biscardi come out in like a t shirt with a girl, the most unthreatening, like non famous man. And people are just like, what are you doing? And it's like, can't talk about this. It's not appropriate. But it was so fun. And when you look at these, uh, these motorcades, though, the amount of money they spend. How many times did Biscardi make you rehearse that before you actually did it? It's funny. Uh, <laughs> last time I saw a presidential motorcade was in Florida, John's wedding. I was driving after the wedding, post-wedding, to really? Miami, going to Miami. And uh, Jen, we were driving, and Jen, uh, looked, she goes, there's no cars on the left side of the road. And I said, well, that's one of two things. Either something horrible has happened or there's a motorcade coming. And sure as shit, uh, it was Obama coming back from speaking on behalf of Hillary came up next. And uh, it's just amazing to see that. It's always cool. Yeah, I've seen it. I'm sure, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And it's really cool. I just love the State of the Union and the the presidential inauguration. I love the – Love it. I love the historical pomp and circumstance that's involved in all that. Oh, and, yeah. You know, the WWF. He's got a this time and, and how they block off in the entire Pennsylvania Avenue and the motorcycles form like a V and they just block off the whole thing. And, it's and amazing. Just, and I've been to D.C. a million times. I lived there for six months and I know the city so well and it's, it's really cool to see that. I've never been there for any of those, but – it's amazing. It's amazing. I, I, I'm with you 100%. The pomp and circumstance, the tradition, it's the closest yeah. thing we'll get to seeing, like, the parades with the missiles. It's it's very uh, historical. And to see and it that. Makes you, it's, it's the presidency. I don't care who's in there. You know, we may not like the guy who's in there now or tomorrow yeah. or <laughs> previously, but it's still the presidency. And yeah, respect the, president, the office. And it's respect to the office, absolutely. It's amazing. And it's very um, – I don't know if the, uh, the word is touching, but just to see that. It's very moving. That's it. It's very moving to see that. It is. And the inauguration and the changing of hands. And yeah. when the, 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 the preceding president says goodbye for the last time. and It's amazing. Yeah. Because here's the deal. You know what? We live in the greatest country ever because every four years and every two years within our within our districts, but every four years within our national country, within our nation, we get to change power peacefully if we want to. It's amazing. People uh, and it's always going to happen like that. It's people fantastic. Die, people die for that. It's always been that way here since yep. uh, the changing with John Adams coming in from George Washington and the, the, the services. And that's the first time that ever happened from the first time that ever happened where hands changed peacefully in power or wasn't a family feuding or something else. And bloodshed was when George Washington handed over to John Adams. Is that true? 1798. Yeah. Yeah. Democratically charged changing of of, uh, changing of hands. And that's the first time it's ever happened. It happened in this country. And that's why uh, the democratic process. Yes. The evolution of, of life. Whether you agree with you know whoever in their office or not, it's not a permanent fixture. It's not Louis the Fourteenth. It's not someone's son that's got doesn't know how to run a country. It's going to kill it. It's uh, we can yeah, vote him out. Should be able to vote you out after year one. <laughs> I do think the presidency and people disagree with me on that should be five years, 
because uh, I feel like the last year is always spent on campaigning anyway, that they need a good four years. But I get the arguments against it. I get I it. disagree. It should be one six-year term. Ooh, I can get a one I can get term. board with that time. Six years of getting board. Oh, my God. Done. <laughs> Bob, I could def that is something I think I think if we could do that and get rid of the electoral college I could yes, definitely get, get rid of the electoral college presidential's one six year term senators get to run for two four year terms house representatives get to run for three two year terms Ooh, and that's it yes and you can run again for house and senate if you sit out a term and then you can run again the Grover Cleveland theory you sit out a term yes. you come back you just poured a little chili Ooh, gravy into my crotch, and I like cool the way it coriander. feels. I'd even throw it out there for president, even for president. Oh my hey, gosh. I'll tell you who's for you president. Have to sit out six years and then run again. Bob. <laughs> Bob, Bob's Stolly, we'll call him. We won't say real name. Stolly for Stolly. president hey, 2020. You just poured a movie. little. You just poured that a little movie. chili gravy in my crotch, and it feels good Tangled. with that talk. That movie. The death of Stalin. <laughs> I watched the trailer for it. It looks hilarious. Oh, Great. Oh my gosh. Mm. I want to see that movie so bad now. It comes out in February? I, I, I didn't even notice when it came out. I'm going to use all my powers and skills to see if I can get an illegal or borrowed screener of that beforehand. Yes. And, uh, and watch that. That looks great. Yeah. That, that opening looks scene incredible. in the trailer where they're guarding yeah, him and he, he dies. dies. <laughs> they're like, shut up. You're going to get us killed. Strotsky. <laughs> you're like, I want to see this. It's like guys getting executed left and right. <laughs> he died in 53. Yeah. I believe. 53 and he yeah. had um, some wild like retreat homes that are abandoned now that you can visit i mean he was the the antithesis of what communism really was obviously we know that but that guy lived in the lap of luxury when like gulags were killing people. i mean it's it's fascinating so it's actually. a comedy love- about the death of stalin yeah, pretty much. I mean, how how Amazing. the country handled it too. He killed more people than Hitler. He killed he like killed, 20 million, he killed twenty million of his own people. Yeah, the purges, the the, the oh, Russian purges, yeah. the Soviet purges. He killed so many people. I mean, in he's up there with Hitler. Hitler just got notoriety because of the amount of time he did it and the way it was done. Yeah. Stalin was uh, in charge for was it thirty years? And when did yeah. Stalin do it? He did it over 30 years, the purges, like uh, political prisoners. Oh, between 19... Uh, was after Leninism. When did Stalin come in? The Len- 20s? Lenin Lenin died, I think, in like 26 or 25. And so B.I. He, Lenin. And, and then he died in 53, so you know, close mm-hmm. to 30 years. Him and Mao, those two, um, are all... And they, and, this is a shit. Mao's a huge piece of shit. Mao Tetung from uh, China. Mao. Now, there's a piece in the Reagan Library where they have like the Berlin Wall section and they show what it was like. And they have all these um, huge b- banners of, of uh, dictators from Brezhnev to Stalin to Mao to the guy from Libya. What was his name? Um, uh, the guy that we killed. Uh, Ho Chi Minh. Ho Chi Minh. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, Libya. Uh, 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 Gaddafi. They had Gaddafi Gaddafi. there. Omar Gaddafi. They had all these guys. And they showed him how awful they were and how scary that that the world was at that time. I mean, he exported most of the terrorism in the 80s, but but just Stalin, and, and they, they showed a video of, you know, Reagan's famous speech of why we fight, um, which is one of the, I think, maybe the top three best political speeches I've ever heard of uh, why we fight Reagan. It's just, 
if you ever have doubt about that makes you want to just pick up a gun and join the army it's it's amazing but they show this video over all these dictators like stalin and mao and these guys killed millions and there's no argument over the choice between peace and war but there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace and you can have it in the next second surrender Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this, but every lesson of history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is the specter our well-meaning liberal friends refuse to face, that their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives no choice between peace and war, only between fight or surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we have to face the final demand, the ultimatum. And what then? When Nikita Khrushchev has told his people, he knows what our answer will be. He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of the Cold War, and someday, when the time comes to deliver the final ultimatum, our surrender will be voluntary, because by that time, we will have been weakened from within spiritually, morally, and economically. He believes this because from our side, he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price, or better read than death, or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees than die on his feet. And therein lies the road to war, because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. Winston Churchill said the destiny of man is not measured by material computations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we're spirits, not animals. And he said there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which, whether we like it or not, spells duty. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. It's of their own people. And it's just, uh, it, there's no doubt of why we fought, you know, communism, spread of that. Yeah, Truman was uh, very taken aback when he went to his first conference with uh, Stalin uh, and Churchill after Roosevelt died, a couple months after Roosevelt died, and he assumed the presidency. He was okay. taken aback at how cavalier Stalin was with human life. Oh, really? He, was, he alluded yeah. to, like, it's no big deal kind of thing? Yeah, there were a few instances, and I can't bring I, I can't recall them specifically. So I, I can't I, mention I, it because of national security. But uh, he he was um cavalier about it because to him it was no big deal. But the Truman, oh, it's like he's not societal too. And you even look at Russia today. Look at what they're doing to the oh. opposition. Look at Armenia, and yeah. look at uh, other countries that they just you know they'll just off you, and it's yeah. no big deal. Doesn't matter. You know, we'll take a little heat for a few weeks and then uh, it goes away. So wow. what? Yeah. I, I know somebody that's from Armenia and uh, they were saying some of the stuff that goes on in that country 
it's just horrific. There's just no this lawlessness. I mean, yeah, we got problems here in America, but no, not like I'll take this any. I'll take we're good. Your, yeah, we're good. We're very we're good. Pretty good. Truth. It's amazing. Lukumzi, <laughs> I think we can put tonight in the W comment. I know it's very late there for you gentlemen. Um, we got to get the Super Bowl bullshit out of the way so we can focus on the real issue, and that's February 18th. We have NASCAR kicking off. And that's when the real sports with oh, John. No. Right now, we're just talking little. Uh, you can have your eagles, gonna, your list, but let's get Jimmy Johnson here. I'm gonna I'm gonna brief John heavily on this leading up to that. So don't worry, I'll be in his ear. I'll be in his ear. Bob, oh my gosh. it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. This is this is a solid two and a half hour show, history hour. They're always the the greatest, the longest shows. And uh, thank you, thank you for being on. Quality. Thank you for having me. Serious. It's great to be coming at you. Thanks. Tweet us at the underscore podcastle. You can follow Bob on Twitter at uh, nerd.35. And and, uh, we hope to have you back soon. Um, Thank you very much. We will be joining you all on Sunday for the fourth quarter of the Eagles. Tune in on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Good night, everybody. Godspeed.
gosh. Oh my 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 gosh.